also give recommendations in terms of the uh, uh, what you think uh, can be better uh, for this uh, country. We are here as members of the committee and all of us, uh, you are welcome members, uh, the team to give us an opportunity. There's a time that has been allocated to all members, uh, all our colleagues, uh, we're not going to suppress, uh, but I think we've already received uh, a written submission. Uh, we hope that you will highlight some of the key areas that you think have to communicate uh, to make emphasis uh, to, the, uh, uh, to the committee and so that we are taking notes on the on the issues. We'll then able to deal with some of the issues that we'll be raising if we help to respond to some of the processes uh, that we've been engaging when we complete our uh, uh, session uh, today. So we're having seven team uh, presenters or uh, organizations or interested parties that will be interacting with the committee as reflected on the agenda. Uh, on the uh, agenda. Mr. Matunze, I want to request you to introduce the uh, team and render apologies uh, if they are. Thank you. Uh, yes, Chair, uh, I've got an uh, apology from Ms. Mudise. Mr. Ross is on study leave. Ms. Mulegwa, she's in another committee. Ms. Tito, she said she'll be joining us, but it's late. So those are the only apologies, Chairperson. And then uh, in terms of the, the, the people that are going to be presenting is uh, from Avacha Force of Change. And then there will be Independent uh, Candidate Association. Then there will be the 70s Group, Inclusive Society Institute, Indigenous uh, First Nation of South Africa, and uh, the New Nation uh, Movement. Those are the organizations that are going to be presenting, Chairperson. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Matonsi, for that uh, apology. Just apology, we will record. Um, Honorable Mutise will also join us uh, a bit uh, late. Let me take this opportunity to invite uh, the first presenter to interact with the committee, um, Abacha. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Chairperson. I greet you and the IEC members, all MPs, and the citizens of the country. Uh, as Abacha Force of Change, I want to say that we are humble to get this platform to present before the commission. I am Nongo Solo from Abacha Force of Change. I am a co-founder of the organization, and I am with Philip Mechanic, who is also the mentor of the organization. Our presentation basically today is derived also from the study of Prof. Philip Mechanic, his views and analysis as a qualified lecturer at Rhodes University, therefore qualified enough to analyze the problems and offer solutions as a computer science academia. Abacha Force of Change is a youth organization driven by social change under the banner say yes to a winning generation and a platform to ignite fearless voices for African identity. Our vision is to build an independent, effective movement of young people that aims to mobilize, empower, and conscientize the youth of South Africa at large. And through that, we cultivate uh, communities that support, guide, and strengthen participation in developing a disciplined, dedicated, and determined youth for a brighter future. Chairperson, I want to emphasize that before we begin, that we should um, realize that 
the, um, South Africa is in a desperate need of change, change that is actually inevitable. And we believe that as young people, we are not only just the future, but we are the today. And it is important for us to shape things that are happening today to ensure that our future is protected. From our youth perspective, it is common cause that we are not fully equipped with political and voter education. And this is why this bill so matters to us, let alone because we are not equipped at all with independent candidates. So we grow up only understanding, knowing about electoral system as a party politics involvement. And therefore this bill becomes crucial in rectifying the phenomena that elections are not just about political parties, but they're supposed to be about activism. So we acknowledge um, and appreciate organizations like New Nation, Forum for Service Delivery, One South Africa, and others who have done a great job in challenging this unfair, non-democratic and unconstitutional system. So as a force of change, we are clear about being non-political, but with full interest in politics, as we know they affect us on a daily basis. Our youth organization find this bill very important for the future because as young people, we should ensure that we protect that. Now, 2021 elections having proven that people are desperate for change as they voted more for independence than some did not even turn out. However, the bill is important in setting out crucial and technical sports, blind spots that took place in 2021. We fully understand that independent candidates have always been accommodated for 2021 elections, but we are excited that they have now to be included for provincial and national elections. So this bill is important also because already the Constitutional Court has ruled that independents need to be included in national elections, but not only in one for local government, but also at national level. The point of including independents is that independents should have the right to seek election and the public should have the right to be represented in the way that they choose. Accordingly, our electoral system should accommodate the desire to run as or to vote for an independent candidate in a way that is consistent with representing the public will in parliament. Any solution adopted has to be practical and provide a true representation of the will of the people, which is something we hope we'll do today as we conclude in terms of proposals. We think that this bill will affect us as an organization, as young people, but also as the public. We believe that as amateur force of change, we believe that independency will, will ensure that we have experienced, seasoned, um, accountable public representatives um, that will not only consider the party views and ideas or philosophies, but will also be inclusive of all the views of stakeholders and, represent, and, and citizens of the country. We hope that this will in turn ensure service delivery in our society. So for example, we know that if someone is in education, they will ensure that education is competent enough and delivered, not only just as a privilege, but also as service to ensure that it does not only um, give favors to fellow comrades. And therefore we think that that will ensure that schools are built on time, schools are fully resourced, resourced and everything is quality in terms of container and also the content. So we find this interesting also because IEC falls under chapter nine 
institutions of our, of our constitution. And that is the point why, as young people, we should never miss this, because we are very crucial. The, uh, the chapter nine institutions are very crucial, mandated to protect our democracy. The bill must therefore emphasize also on the selection of staff in, on the IEC and how things are executed before elections, during elections, and post-elections. What are the current problems in the bill or the loopholes of the current bill? The bill currently under consideration allows independents to stand in a regional list. Under the proposal, all independents would appear on the regional ballot for the National Assembly and compete for one of the 200 seats won via that ballot. This proposal is impractical, unworkable, and unconstitutional. Let us start with unconstitutional. Section 46. 1C of the Constitution requires an electoral system that results in general in proportional representation, which does not reflect on this bill. The fact that each province will have a list of parties and independent parties contesting in, is problematic also, of which we, we hope to propose how it could be um, solved. If, so, for example, if you have 100 independents in a province, you may have a huge and widely ballot paper. In 2021, local elections, we had a total of 1,546 independent candidates. And if we divide that equally between provinces, the average is about 170 per province. The issue here is that each candidate needs to make a quota or reach a quota in order to qualify to get to the assembly. That would be the fraction corresponding to a number of seats available in legislature and national assembly. Now, let's say each candidate needs a certain number of needs a certain number of votes. It speaks to the number to the to the length of the ballot paper, and I think we'll touch that even on solution. The bill itself in un, is unconstitutional in a sense that it does not accommodate these proportional representations that I've been talking about in terms of the allocation scheme of seats. Now, section fifteen seven a section three. One, one registered parties contesting an election of the National Assembly must nominate candidates on a list of candidates prepared in accordance with the Act. Now, a party's list of candidates must consist of a regional list for each region and a national list. It, it's largely unfair that one person independently, just because they are in a party, can appear, can appear on both lists, yet independents do not belong, that do not belong to a party cannot. And I mean, we are all independent human beings before we even belong to a party. So when I was speaking about the 1,546 independent candidates that contested the 2021 elections, this that would be about 170 per province. But given that a seat in parliament is a full-time job that is attracted significantly, it is unlikely that that national elections would attract fewer independents than local elections. So that, that makes the whole proposal impractical and unworkable in that it would result in a massive ballot with hundreds or more choices, including political parties for voters or and for voters of limited literacy. This becomes even harder because it, it's, it's going to fill in a ballot that would be a very long one to read, more like a, a telephone direct. So I will propose what then should be done in order to avoid that. But we also think the problem is that the review of lists of candidates by a party speaks to changes on party list. And we find this um, disturbing because then if the bill allows 
political parties to review, then it means it, it undermines the democracy that even when the public thought that they are voting for a particular person within a political party, it still allows the political party to change that person. So the party or the president has all the right to change up to 25% of the people who thought you're voting for, including rearranging the order of their original list. So maybe in the same breath, we should advise the public that the, the new bill that includes independent candidates is very important because it, it would be worthless to vote for a political party that fails to declare that it will never change their list unless unforeseen circumstances like death okay. I mean, what good is it that I vote for a party A because it has Tulima Donzella on top of the list, then that party after winning decides to change her name with someone with no similar credentials and that I don't even know. And so having independent candidates then allows uh, citizens to know exactly who they are voting for. But also the problem in this field is the point of vacancies, and I won't deal with that much because most organizations already touched on that. And so we think that it's important that you consider that you fill in the space when um, an independent candidate uh, vacancy occurs, and that can be done through by elections. And that was touched on yesterday, so I won't go deep into it. And, and from here on, I want to then hand over to my colleague, Philip Mechanic, who will then be dealing with proposed solutions that we are coming with as Abacha Force of Change. Thank you very much uh, for your introduction. Uh, Philip McKenz, Mechanic, sure. sir. Thank you. So we are looking at three problems to solve. <clears throat> so my colleague mentioned the issue of proportionality. The big issue there is you can easily construct a scenario where 10% or more of the vote has gone to independence and none get elected. Uh, and so we have a proposal to solve that problem. She mentioned the ludicrously long ballot and filling vacancies. So you partially solve this problem with the municipal level system where independents run a geographically defined location, in that case a ward. At a national level, you might call it a consistent constituency to be more consistent with traditional terminology. Uh, but you still have the problem of lost votes because in the award system, if you don't win a award, you can't transfer your vote to a PR list if you're running as an independent. So let's go on now to looking at how we solve some of those issues. Uh, a constituency system we have in the next slide uh, has the advantage that you know who your member of parliament is, but it's unconstitutional. Uh, apologies for the typo, because it doesn't guarantee proportionality. Hence, we propose a hybrid system. To look at, for instance, at ward elections. In my municipality, in one ward, there was a large number of candidates, but a very, very low turnout. So the person who won got a bit over 200 votes. In the ward next door, the candidate who came second came over 14, got over 1,400 votes and didn't get elected. So a pure constituency system is obviously not the answer. So if we go on to the next slide, we can see now what we are proposing. So the simplest approach would be to take all votes for independence as if there are votes for a party list, and then you create the party list after the event by putting the candidate who had the highest number of votes at the top, the second highest next, and so on down. And then you can work out if, for instance, independence had 10% of the overall vote, then they get the appropriate number of seats. Now, the problem is this 
alone does not solve the problem of excessively long ballots and you know the other potential confusion if you have a ballot for entire provinces you could have similar looking names so what we propose is to have as a unit of balloting a constituency rather than the whole province constituency should be big enough that an independent candidate could score a significant fraction of a quota to be credible as a parliamentary uh, member and we would suggest the constituency cons corresponds to two seats in parliament and if we can go on to the next slide uh, the simplest solution then developing from the one that we proposed purely for the independence is put all the independents into a party list highest vote at the top and so on but for consistency treat the party candidates exactly in the same way they nominate in a constituency and then they get put into a party list after the election. So the person who wins isn't the person who got the highest vote in the constituency. Rather, the constituency candidates all form a party list. Now, what is the advantage of doing it that way? In the system we have now, your ability to get elected to parliament depends on two things. Your ability to navigate your internal party structures in order to get a place on the PR list and the ability of your party overall to campaign. But there's no personal connection between a member of parliament and a particular geographic location. So if we look at a, a, any realistic scenario, going back to the one I mentioned about wards in our local election, that one ward, for instance, where the winning candidate had a very low number of votes, that person might not necessarily have made it into the PR list that would have been calculated the way I propose. So it would be a fairer system. But going on just to the next slide, we do have a proposal for filling vacancies. Uh, if there was only one vacancy in a province, you just run a constituency by-election. If there was more than one in a province, you could use the same kind of system as in the general election. And the reason I specifically say we can't just take the next name on the PR list is that the longer you go after the election, the less likely that person is to be somebody the voters relate to, but also the fewer votes they actually got in the actual election. And particularly with independents, you know, they are entitled to 10% of the seats in parliament. The next person down the list may have actually got very few votes. All right, so thanks very much. I hope I explained it clearly and my aim was to highlight the main points rather than to go through everything. I hope we've left a bit of time for questions. Thanks very much. Um, are you all done? I want to check if you're comfortable. Yeah, I'm, I am. I have my colleagues. Okay. No, thanks, 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 uh, Miss Solo and uh, Miss, uh, Mr. McKinnick for your presentation. How what we're right to what the approach we took is that we'll, we'll take two presentations. Then after uh, I invite members to comment or raise issues uh, to your uh, presentations, and then you, 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 you respond so that we at least have a fair share of time. Uh, thank you very much. We'll come back to you. We're inviting the next presenter, uh, Mr. Matonzi. Yes, Chair. Uh, the next presenter is Independent Candidate Association by Dr. Michael Lewis. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Dr. Lewis. Uh, you're welcome to the committee. Uh, the stage is yours. Thank you, Chair. Uh, 
Thank you, Mr. Shabani. Can I just get maybe as, um, to disable my screen sharing? No, no, you're welcome. You're welcome. In fact, yeah, you're welcome. No problem. As long as we can uh, hear you, uh, Doctor. No, no, no. Andrew, but I just want to do a screen share quickly um, as well. I, I did make you a co-host if you want to share. Yeah. Thank you, Jay. Sorry, Chair, I just want to get the full screen. Um, thank you, Chair, and um, thank you for the privilege of um, joining this committee today. And what an outstanding privilege to, to really follow up on Nongo that represents the youth. I think we all know that that's so critical. And also, Chair, that um, I feel very privileged to be, able to, um, to be able to address you on countdown. It's now exactly 100 days before the um, Concord deadline. So the pressure's on, on all of us. And definitely from the ICA, we feel that this is a collaborative um, exercise to work with Parliament in reaching the journey. So could I also just thank the honourable members for being present, as well as fellow contributors, the members of the press and the public. It's a great privilege. My name is Michael Louis, And I'll be um, representing on behalf of the Independent Candidates Association. And Chair, I'm just going to really focus I'll tell you a little bit about the ICA, but I'm going to focus just on two very key issues that I believe are important to the um, Standing Committee, and that's the issues on governance, dealing with the executive and the legislative powers, and then talking about proportional representation. Um, and I love the submission and the alternatives that were presented to the, by the previous speaker. And then to end with some recommendations um, that the ICA will be given. Um, just purely from um, our point of view, um, the Independent Candidates Association, by the way, is um, a bottom-up structure. When the independent candidates started coming in after the New Nation movement, there was a need for independent candidates to, to really um, feel that they are professionalized, they've got international best practice, they are protected, they've got guidance. And so we operate very much like a law society and um, or the accountants board. So it's a professional organization. We're empowered and governed by a memorandum of understanding and very important for everybody to know, and especially the members, the honorable members, is that we're not a political party and will not be appearing on a ballot paper. Um, what's our vision? Our preferred, um, we're a preferred organization for independent candidates in South Africa and a variety of affiliated organizations and individuals that represent the interests of independent candidates and direct democracy in South Africa. Um, our mission is to be a custodian and platform that will actively empower and hold independent candidates accountable. And I know there's so many people that always ask how the independent candidates are going to be accountable to their constituencies and to the credibility of the Independent Candidate Association. Now, Chair, what are our objectives of this organization? Our objectives are to promote at a national and provincial level the interests and the welfare of independent candidates. Um, secondly, to assist independent candidates to maintain their independence. And then very relevant about today is to initiate, consider, promote, support, oppose, or endeavor to improve the strengthening of any form of existing or proposed legislation that affect independent candidates. And obviously also to deal with some disciplinary matters. Chair, just as a background, why are we so passionate about this whole issue about independent candidates? And also what the previous speaker spoke about we need to increase the tapestry of the, our democracy. And if we look at these two graphs, we can see that 
our low voting compared with the rest of the world, we are really in decline. And also, if we see the bottom graph, we'll see that we're the fourth lowest in the world of participatory democracy, which is something that's really not something to be proud of. Even if we come and see that this next slide, you see that there's more people in South Africa that don't vote um, in elections that do vote. And you'll see from the slide that there's 19,6 million people that do not vote in our country and over just 17 million people that do vote. And that's a travesty and something that we really need to improve. I'm pleased to say ever since the um, New Nation movement, there really has been an escalation about individuals wanting to stand up and participate in our democracy. And in the national results, if we take all the political parties and compare it to the local national uh, local government elections that took place last year, I'm very pleased to confirm that the independence, which will include civil movements, achieved over 625,000 votes making it the fifth largest constituency of uh, voters in this country. And that's why, Chair and Honourable Members, that this submission and framework of including independent candidates is becoming very relevant and more and more important. I'm also very pleased to say that we've seen some of the civil movements, which in the definitions, uh, independency includes organisations and movements, which doesn't do it in the definitions of the new bill, which is one of our... Um, um, submissions in, in our formal submission, but there you'll see that Cedarburg um, yes, uh, won 27.5% in their votes, um, the Siatemba Community Forum got 39.67%, and Sesotho got 22.88%. Definitely a rising interest of public servants are saying we want to be part of our democracy, we're wanting to make our country great. So, Chair, um, I now come to my first of my two issues that I'm wanting to talk about, and that's about the democratic governance. Um, so many speakers before me have spoken about it, and I'm not going to elaborate too much on the introduction of it, but we do believe in a democracy Hello? that is directly linked to the concept of governance. We do believe that the South African Constitution supports the core democratic values of inclusivity, transparency, openness, and accountability. We do believe that the Constitution guarantees the right, rightfulness and meaningful um, participation, and that the democratic process is primarily to inf influence decision-making processes that reflect the will of the people. That's what we really believe in. Just because of the time allocated to me, I'm not going too much in the detail, but what's very important about this process, which I'm going to divide into the executive process and the legislative process. Um, the minister many times mentions that this process has been rushed, um, there's no time, but colleagues really, and um, we would see that this process, the executive process has started in 2003 already, where many committees, private members motions, and even a call for a referendum has happened. And if we look at this slide, we will see it's right across the board that we've got the ANC in 2006 that supported total electoral reform. Kasatu in 2006 um, called for a referendum on electoral reform. The DA in 2013 asked for a private member's motion on uh, constituency electoral reform. And then an ex-president even supported a much more accountable system in the high-level report. And then obviously Honorable Member Lakota in 2020 um, ending with the Valimusa majority report that said there needs to be electoral reform. So from an executive process of the last 20 years, I can say that we are comfortable that this whole notion of electoral reform is very right, very necessary, 
and is a must. And regarding the legislative process, um, I just wanted to say I'm not going through all of it escalated well for those that want to follow the slides, but I'm wanting to say as the directors of ICA before ICA was even promulgated, we started the process in 20th of November 2018 already to start drafting a private member's bill with Honourable Member Lakota. And uh, allow me, Honourable Members, to honour Honourable Member Lakota today. Um, we felt that he was just the most propo uh, best proponent to motivate what we're trying to do because he was in 1955 at the People's Congress, he was already there promoting the liberty and the freedom of power to the people. And also that he understood that in uh, 1996, when the um, transitional arrangement of the constitution was done, that it was only a transitional arrangement. And I'm wanting to honor him because in the four years of this journey, he's taught us so much, he shared us so much, and also his passion is something, was, is something that I'll always hear, um, hold close to our hearts. So um, I also wanted to thank the legal division of parliament that educated us regarding the huge uh, mechanics behind a private member's motion. So I'm wanting to do that. So if we look at this legislative process, which is quite long, I want to make the following notes on the process of governance. Firstly, um, the private member's motion, honorable members, took six legal professional people from the 6th of November. Dr. Lewis, Dr. Lewis, yeah, I think you're you, you muted by mistake. I'm not sure whether it's, it's a, yeah, we can't hear you. I'm not sure, colleagues, can you hear Mr. Lewis or is on my, on a, my Sorry, side? Can you hear me now, Chair? Yes, yeah. yes. He, yes. He thank you very much. No, oh. thank, thank, thank you very much. I think you're muted. Thank Proceed. <laughs> I'm sorry about that, Chair. Um, so I'm not going to go through the whole legislative things, but I'm wanting to make a couple of general notes that I feel very strongly about on behalf of ICA. Um, when the new nation judgment came through, that parliament was given the responsibility to, to draft the bill and not the executive. And I think we've always had this problem, especially in the dispensation at the moment, that the separation of powers between the executive and legislative. We are not sure how this bill actually arrived here. And if we look at the submission of the executive to the cabinet, we will see that the cabinet approved the uh, MAC report um, with the options on the 24th of November. They did not um, um, support and endorse the bill as we read the minutes. The bill was only lodged one day later on the 25th of November. So Chair, this whole thing about um, that the executive actually gave a policy decision um, is not really something that's understanding to us. And my experience about policy and the executive, normally what happens, the executive gives policy and then a bill is drafted. In this case, um, we've got no idea where the minister got these instructions from. A bill was drafted. It was only then sent to um, cabinet to, in, uh, to endorse and cabinet didn't endorse it according to um, our understanding. Um, they did the right thing is to give the MAC report and the minority and the majority to be voted by the members. Um, Chair, and then also just regarding the private members uh, bill of Honorable Lakota, um, we're really concerned that it was voted as non-desirable on the 2nd of February. Um, we're not aware how that came. It was budget day. Um, and um, just on the 21st of February, the ICA wrote a letter to the standing committee 
to say, please don't vote on the desirability of this bill and wait for public comment. Um, I know that you followed the rules. We've gone through and analyzed the rules of how it was done. But why the standing committee had to push for desirability is unknown to, um, to us. Then, Chair, um, in our submission, um, we, we really preferred that both bills would be presented to the um, public. And I've heard now um, the process from the 7th of March of how that will go to the public. And we're really encouraging um, and wanting to have confidence that all the bills, the MAC report, and the Honourable Member Lacoste's bill and the Executive bill will be presented to the public to, um, to be able to discuss. Chair, just because of my limitation of time, I'm going to rush, but I need to do now the, inter uh, the interpretation of the proportional representation, which is very, very important on the numeric calculations. And I'm wanting to encourage all members of Parliament, you cannot draft a bill without looking at the interpretation of the numbers. And well, we decided to use the example that um, the Honourable uh, Senior Counsel Budlander um, presented to the Parliament, and I refer to his Gauteng legislator example on paragraphs 25 to 32. We used a legislator, but I'm wanting to upfront say that a legislator is not a good example because there's no double quota, there's no compensatory seats, there was a error in their Drew quota, they did not use plus one, and even worse, Chair, that um, Budlander said that this is a real-time example Counting legislator has not got 70 and uh, not got 80 seats, has got 73 seats and totally changes the outcome as follows. If we look at this slide of how it was presented in the memorandum to the standing committee, you will see that independent candidates one, two and three qualify for seats. But if we look at the real example to change to 73 seats, you will see that independent candidates number two and number three do not qualify. And what's even worse, Chair, and that's where we've got a main problem. You'll see from this list is that um, Party D has got 48,000 seats and independent candidates number two and three have got 54 and 57,000 respectively, and they don't qualify. And so the whole thing about this unproportionality and unfair voting just really is something that the system that is proposed is not working. If we look at this schedule, we will always see that the main political parties will always benefit. If we look at vote share and seat share, we will see that the vote share in Gauteng was 54.5%, but yet the seat share is 58.9%, a deviation of 4.4%, which means the larger parties gain 3%. The second largest party gained 2%. But if you look at the independent candidates of 99 they didn't qualify because they didn't make one. We do not believe that that will pass constitutional muster. There you'll see that independence near the quota did not get seized. That's just more or less a summary of what I said. Chair, now I get to um, this slide, which is even worse, is that the members of parliament know that the way the um, proposal happens at the moment to get members of parliament, you take the number of votes and you divide it by 400 members of council. That comes to more or less 43,000 votes. However, the new proposal dividing the provinces as regions into, um, into the system and the way they've proposed it, look at the difference of what independent candidates need to achieve to become a member of national party. 80,000 seats in Eastern Cape, Free State 82, and we can go through. It's made it impossible for independent candidates to really qualify because it's double the quota. So what happens in this slide, if we look at the constituencies of being a national member of parliament and a provincial member of parliament, which is the same constituency, K-1 
Can you believe it? If you want to, in the Eastern Cape, become a member of parliament, you must get 80,000 votes, but yet in the legislature, 31,000. There's definitely disparity, and we want to put to record that the system that has been devised in this bill will not work and cannot work, and we want to make that very strongly. I'm not going to go too much in these slides because my time's running, but I'm wanting to say it's all about the 200 seats and that independent candidates don't qualify for the compensatory seats. Um, it, and the independents will always be half of what the National Assembly has. Um, Chair, I'm wanting to make two comments. The one thing is I really would um, encourage the um, Standing Committee to make use of the services of Michael Atkins that advised us on the figures and the interpretation of um, the bill into numbers purely because um, um, he's advised us for the last number of years and he's a strategic person analyzing elections and he's absolutely outstanding. Last, just regarding the section of proportionality, a very profound statement made by Vali Musa that was appointed by your minister as the Ministerial Advisory Committee that says, in all the public consultations held by the Ministerial Advisory Committee, not a single member of the public, academic expert, civil society organization, or political party has ever proposed the current system that features in this bill, Chair. The committee must not take this lightly. And I promise you, Chair, that's ICA's position. Um, I've been following this for five years. I've been intimately involved. I've got no idea where the system comes in, no idea where this bill. It doesn't follow the minority report of the um, of the um, MAC report, and we are really putting up a red light. Here just, um, the ICA proposes the following uh, regarding the bill. Firstly, we believe that the bill is totally unconstitutional. We believe that the bill is structured to intentionally discourage any independents to stand and, and be elected in favor of a party-denominated system. We believe that the ICA will, however, support a condemnation extension application to parliament to get extra time because of participation of six months. But it, we will act as um, uh, amicus curiae, but on the following conditions, that the public will be given opportunity on all the bills, as mentioned before, that the extended public participation will be in all nine provinces. There will be tier, uh, clear timelines and measurables, and Parliament will work with the IC to, to work on their timeframes. Um, the, uh, the ICA very strongly believes in the fudging of the both bills. Um, Chair, just to tell you that um, the bill that was drafted, and I'm very um, privileged to say that I led that team of, of, of legal advisors, that bill contains 60 pages, while the current bill is 20 pages. It was specially designed that the bulk of the bill can be used. It's only Schedule 1A that needs to be changed, which is on the mechanics of the bill, however you choose. The ICA is disappointed that the voting of the non-desirability of the Lakota bill, Chair, and I know this is not protocol, but we are by adding the Lakota bill back onto the table as part of our submission because we are really disturbed that um, whilst it was mentioned before that you can use elements of it, um, I know this is not protocol, but we have to now make it as an extra A to our submission. Um, Chair, and then um, two more points is that um, we hereby offer the team of legal people that have assisted us the last four years in drafting this bill to help Parliament to meet the timeframes. We feel so committed and so passionate that this is something that is one of the most important pieces of legislation. We want to be a constructive force and your arm bearer. But last but not least, Chair, that we believe that the nature of reform that is needed in this bill is so important. And if we believe 
that the nature of the reform and the matter of hand is not taken um, as seriously as what we would like it to be. Um, and we will then believe and, and look at how the political parties and parliament deal with this. But if we believe that they are conflicted, we have got no alternative, but to, um, and we're currently engaging with senior council that we will write to the, minister, uh, the president of uh, the Republic of South Africa and calling for a referendum on this most important issue. In, um, in closing, the two previous, or yesterday's two um, presenters did a wonderful personal story about them standing as young girls at the voting station, which I really thought touched my heart. But I'm wanting, as a businessman for the last 40 years, to say our experience with a number of businesses says the following, that you'll never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. A famous um, scientist, Buckminster Fuller. I thank you, Chair. Thank you very much for your time to present your effect, to give effect to the issues that you've raised uh, from your team, uh, Dr. Lewis and uh, Ms. Solo and Mr. McKinnick. Uh, in your presentation to the uh, to the committee, raising issues that uh, affect uh, our uh, process of the uh, the the bill um, and recommendations, I'm going to invite uh, members uh, to comment or questions on the uh, presentation. I know that uh, there's uh, a written submission to uh, the committee which were interacting uh, with just for clarity on the issues that uh, you, 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 you have raised. I'll start with the uh, Honorable uh, Pillay, um, and then I'll invite Honorable uh, uh, Veteran Lukota, and I'll invite uh, uh, Honorable Lukwase, um, I'll invite Honorable uh, uh, Kanyile, um, um, that Mr. Matunzi will, as we advise uh, members when they've joined uh, to this uh, uh, meeting, so that we don't uh, uh, recognize them for for commented questions. In that order. Thank you, thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. And let me first uh, thank Abasha Force of Change and Independent Candidate Association for their presentations. Chairperson, I want to start off with a. I think of something very important. Um, the dictionary states the definition of independent as being free from outside control, not subject to another's authority. It then says not depending on another for livelihood or subsistence. And then I'm going to go further to Wikipedia that talks about an independent politician. And it says an independent or non-partisan politician is a politician not affiliated with any political party or bureaucratic association. And there are numerous reasons why someone may stand for office as an independent. Now, the reason I started off with that definition is because in the presentation by Abasha, it was suggested that independence should form a collective and that you allocate seats in order of 
the independent that received the most number of votes and so on. What are we saying? Are we not going back to the status quo? Because you've requested for independence to be to be allowed to participate in the elections. It's already happening at a local government level. It's now to change our our bill in terms of, of, of allowing for independence to participate. And we agree that, yes, it should be. It's a democratic process. But are we not contradicting what individuals or associations or organizations have been asking for? In the mere fact that we are saying an independent now must become a collective, then the act allows for you to form a party. If you want to contest the election as a party, you contest as a party or you contest as an independent. Now, it becomes a difficult situation where you are saying that you contest as an independent, but again, you form a collective. So I'm finding difficulty in differentiating between whether it's now an independent or it's a collective. Secondly, Chairperson, the submission about being on both the national and provincial which we may refer to as constituencies or we may refer to as uh, regional. But in our case, there's a provincial legislature, there's a national legislature. Now, if you are appearing on both ballots and if you get elected or meet the threshold on one, on both, sorry, what then happens to that individual because you are one person as an independent candidate? And I think this is something that came up yesterday. It continues to come up. You are saying why should an independent not be allowed to contest both spaces? Purely because an independent means one. So if you're contesting the space as one, you can only occupy one seat. If you move to this suggestion or proposal that you now allocate what you receive to somebody else, are you not then violating the right of the voter? Because the voter voted for person X and not person Y. So that's the first part about um, Abasha. And then, um, Chair, just to ask uh, the uh, Independent Candidate Association, um, what is it suggested to be done to address the unfair high quota for independent candidates to national seats? What is it suggested to be done to address the unfair high quota for independent candidates to national seats? Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Pile, for your comments and questions. Honorable Kanyele. Thank you so much, Chairperson. Greetings to you and everyone that is in the meeting. Uh, Chairperson, I think I have been uh, covered by uh, Honorable Pile. However, I'd also like to make an emphasis to both presenters from the two various stakeholders that if they want independence now to stand in the election as a collective, then it means that they are no longer independent. So I think what then will need to happen, these people who are now masquerade as independents, they will now need to register a political party or join some of the existing political party because it is outlined, it is clear that if you want to join a legislature, how many votes they will need to achieve. And if they want to go to the National Assembly, how many votes they will, they will need to, ask to achieve. 
So if it as if it, as it stands at the moment, they know very well that they're not going to be able to achieve th- those votes. Uh, um, I'm not going to ask the question that I, want, that I wanted to ask, but uh, all I want to emphasize on is that independents they just need to participate or, or contest the elections as as independents. But if they now want to come in as as a collective, they will definitely need to follow the process of registering a political party. Thank you so much. Thank you very much uh, for your contribution, Honorable Kanile. Uh, veteran Lukota. Uh, I am listening with interest to this uh, suggestion that uh, the independents must register a political party. Because then that means uh, we, have, we have only one system. You can only be a member of a political party and then you can stand for parliament, which is in violation of the provision of the constitution. It cannot be that when you have a number of people that have voted for you, that you cannot call a meeting and talk to them or they cannot call you and demand uh, accountability from you. This is an issue which suggests that the spirit of that with which we are approaching this is that in fact independents have no place in uh, in this uh, in this uh, constitution or in this legislation and i would therefore i do want to underline by the way that i still feel it is appropriate to present to the people of the country the bill that i brought to parliament it cannot be that we go to the people after only a section of the population, only party members have had to vote on and they've decided that there's no place for this legislation. Those two points I'd like to make sure and I don't want to take much of your time. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Veteran Lukota, <coughs> uh, for your contributions. Honorable Lopasa. Thank you very much, Chairperson. I think Honorable Kanyile and Honorable Pillay covered most of my submission. But, Chair, one must say it should not be as if we are already at a point where, as a committee, we are taking a decision or we are favoring parties rather than independence. One is sitting here, wants to get clarity. For example, from the submission that has just been made for by, by, by Honorable uh, Lukota, and also it was a submission by Abacha, one would want a justification that how can it be that an independent candidate that potentially received no votes get a seat merely because another candidate nominated them for a case of <coughs> in case of a vacancy? It is a bit confusing, and we need to seek these clarities. And as we seek clarities, we do not mean that we are already concluding our writing of submissions. The intention of this hearing is to listen to all the submissions made, and then we will go back. It's not as if we are concluding in, in, in anything. I'm emphasizing this because I want us to imagine in all these meetings that we'll be hearing, or the public hearing meetings, mm-hmm. with an understanding of what the submissions really are, because they we have a responsibility as a committee of parliament to deal with this issue. 
And Chairperson, I think my only question would be just a justification of how one independent candidate gets a vote and there's a possibility that that candidate did not even get a vote from his or her own constituency. Thank you very much, Chair. Thanks very much, um, members, for appreciation of the reports, not sort of the presentation uh, made. Uh, just on two issues, uh, I think the two colleagues presenters, uh, Dr. Lewis and Ms. Solo and McKinnick, may just to expand on the areas they've touched. One on the, I think it's Ms. Solo who, who, who presented around the issue of the IEC that the bill must include on how staff are, in, uh, 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 are appointed uh, uh, during the elections uh, to the IEC. Um, I might not have captured correctly what she was trying to, uh, uh, to articulate, but if you can expand a bit on what is the vision in terms of your submission to that. The, Second point, um, the attitude on the, you know, we have two houses, uh, NA and NCOP, and I know that the constitutional court judgment focused on the uh, National uh, uh, Assembly uh, and the provincial legislatures. Uh, what will be the attitude in terms of independence, the process that we, we take to, to, to select a members that must represent us in the in the in the national uh, in the NCOP, I just want to to uh, to to expand on that. Uh, or what is the interpretation in terms of the participation of independence within that uh, uh, side of a uh, uh, law uh, house? The last one, uh, the I think the issue is coming back on the uh, party. The vacancies when the uh, either the member independent resigned by election and this and that, um, and the party list that is being uh, uh, reviewed. Uh, I wanted just to expand on that uh, the, the mitigating factors that will uh, be in place when uh, independent resign uh, uh, or uh, there's something happen uh, 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 on independent. Uh, and I think this matter that uh, a person qualify on two, both uh, provincial and legis- provincial legislation and national. Uh, perhaps uh, Honorable Pillay do make an emphasis. Uh, perhaps you can able to uh, uh, to expand on that. We'll start with the Miss the uh, Miss uh, Solo and uh, Miss uh, Mr. Mechanic, and then we'll invite uh, Dr. Lewis just to make uh, expand or. or more in terms of the issues that were raised by uh, by, by members for notes taking. We must assure you that uh, there's a team that uh, is taking notes on the critical issues that uh, you have raised that will assist us as we interact in the, uh, the, uh, this engagement. We're able to take note of that. Thank you. In that order. Ms. Solo. Or uh, Mr. Mechanic, uh, the first presenters. Let me not be okay. Uh, yeah, anyone, I, yeah, thank you. I, thank you, Chair. I think she may have dropped. Apologies about that. I think I just then okay. unmute. 
All no, right. it's okay. It's okay. Proceed, Mr. McKinnick. She'll add if she has to add something. Then sure, thank you so the much, Chairperson. Maybe you can take the IEC issue and I'll deal with the issue of the collective, etc. Let, let me assist you to uh, not to just to focus. Let's start with Mr. McKinnick, then she'll cool. come so that we don't. Uh, All right. Thank okay. You. Thanks very much. As a very experienced lecturer, sometimes probably I'm not very good and don't explain things clearly. So we had several questions that assumed that we are talking about the independent candidates having to form a collective. That is not the proposal at all. The proposal is to just put a number on it. Say independents together, altogether score 10% of the vote. The independents that got the highest vote should then uh, go to parliament up to the limit of the top 10%. But it's not the independents deciding that, it's the voters. So if you have, uh, let's say, 20 candidates who each got a certain level of vote that puts them into the top 10%. That is what would put them in Parliament. There's no negotiation between the independents. They're not forming a collective. They're still independents when they get to Parliament. They don't form a caucus unless they choose to do that. So our proposal is not at all the same as the independents forming a party, which they can do under the existing constitution. In fact, here in the uh, Makana local government election, we did exactly that. We had a group of people who would otherwise stand as independents before Makana Citizens Front and registered with the IEC, but we also had independents who ran individually. And the problem is the independents who ran individually didn't get enough votes to win an award, so all their votes were effectively thrown away, which violates the principle of proportional representation, which is required in the Constitution. So I hope I made it clearer now. We're not saying the independents would form a collective. The voting public would say which independents get the highest vote by virtue of voting for him, and those who had a high enough vote to make the cut would go to Parliament, and the PR list that would be formed would be formed purely out of the number of votes the candidates got. And we also propose to make the two systems equivalent, but this should happen with the party vote as well. And that would create a personal connection between the candidates and the voters at the moment. If you get elected to parliament, there are two things that need to happen. The one is you have to win over your internal party process to get a place on the PR list. The other one is that your party has to get a high enough vote that your position on the PR list gets elected. But no one actually votes for you in your name. So if I have a problem that I want to take to parliament, I can't say, oh, that's the member of parliament from my area, although the parties do allocate them that way, but it's not something that has come directly from the voters. I hope I made that Clearer. Uh, the other issue that came up was that if somebody is replaced, the claim was that this would happen if somebody stepped down from parliament, that somebody who got no votes could replace them. And that was specifically why we proposed there should be a by-election. And, you know, the same thing applies with uh, the existing system. If a PR member of parliament steps down or PR ward councillor, the party puts the next person on the list, and that list could have been revised since the election. It could be somebody you no know, one ever voted for. And we haven't given thought to the NCOP. It's meant to reflect the, con the composition of the provincial legislature. So if independents did get elected to the provincial legislature, we would have to have some way to address that, but I don't want to give an opinion on how that should be done because I haven't worked through that. So I hope that clarified the points that we raised. And the other one was the issue of the IEC, which 
I think my colleague might be in a better position than me to address. Thank you. Thank you a lot, uh, Mr. Mechanic. Ms. Sono? Thank you so much, um, Chairperson, and thank you to the committee as well. I hope I'm now audible enough. Yes. Yes. yes thank you. Um, my colleague has already clarified what we meant about independent candidates. And I think it's important, uh, Chairperson, to emphasize that there is no need for the committee to keep encouraging us to form a party and contest elections because we are not interested in doing that. We are sure that um, the society and citizens of the country are actually excited to have this democracy that we are advocating for, where we have two systems, political parties, and independent candidates. Now, when we speak independent, we are saying independent in participation and united in execution. So that is saying then allowing independent candidates to be able to even associate with each other. And I think that is why as Abacha Force of Change, we may then also be interested in supporting the extension because then this reveals that there is so much lot of uh, public participation and voter and political education that still needs to be done, especially to young people. I'm sure you know that young people have lost so much interest in these politics. And we argued even before when we when we uh, when we're presenting that elections should continue, we argued that such delays and, uh, and tactics make young people to even lose more interest. And we are hoping that the, the extension that is requested is not trying to make a delay tactic, but particularly to ensure that there is, so, there is enough public participation. Because what we don't want to do yet again is to make young people lose interest in participation for 2024 elections, but have full understanding. And I think we know that young people are very woke. They understand who they want. They understand that individuals and, and capabilities of individuals. And surely, the more we share this information, they will be interested in ensuring that they, they elect more um, credible independent candidates. I think the issue of vacancies has been emphasized yesterday that we, in the same breath, when an independent candidate goes out, we are not saying that the other one will automatically become a member of the assembly just by default of the one vacancy. But we are saying if we go back to by-elections, the same principle applies, that the constituency yet again vote for their preferred candidate, which is um, not filled yet again. You are denying the constituency that voted for their independent a representation. So that is very important. When it comes to the issue of the IEC and stuff. Um, um, what we are trying to highlight here is that it will be exciting to deal with this bill in a holistic point of view, in a very inclusive point of view, that we don't have loopholes and then come back yet again to discuss those things that are outstanding. So we are saying that the IEC, the bill itself, reflects the commissions and repeated, repeatedly uh, speaks to IEC as a body that executes elections. And it will be important, therefore, or interesting, therefore, to understand deeply how this independent commission works. It is an independent con commission that is expected to protect our rights and, and, and and therefore, it's it's important to understand how it fully functions. I, I'm sure, uh, Chairperson, you would note that in 2021, before elections, we made a lot of submissions that the staff must change. We have been having um, the IEC representatives um, as coming from unions, 
coming from political parties. And it will be interesting to have those um, young people changed. And we, we were excited to see that IEC responded positively by ensuring that they even include a young people. Yeah, we're losing you. Uh, if you can switch part of, of the video. Members and um, I'm not so well equipped in terms of um, the the necessity of of them being part of the bill. But I'm, I'm saying, uh, Chairperson, it's important for us to start about the electoral system as a whole. And when we talk about the electoral system, it's important. Miss Solo, Miss you you are. We are losing you. If you can switch off the your video, because you don't want to lose your your responses. Miss um, Solo. Okay, we're trying to we have tried to give a opportunity to respond. Uh, I think we've captured the essence. Uh, the issues she wanted to raise with the with the committee. Uh, can we invite Dr. Lewis? Thank you, Chair. Um, I appreciate the opportunity. The first, um, I'll respond to Honourable Pele. Um, on a number of occasions, he's uh, mentioned about the issue of the independent candidate and the definition and his understanding, which we really respect. Um, from our point of view is, um, and I come from that type of background, you either get an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur, and there's certain people that are wanting to be entrepreneurs on their own or certain individuals that are wanting to be corporate. Um, they're wanting to work for Old Mutual or Sunlum, etc. It's just the way um, it is. And, um, and the ICA feels very strongly that we're wanting to invite more um, new voices, new actors, and to cater for them. And I think that is only right. So I don't want to go too much on the definition of an independent candidate and the meaning. We live in a constitutional state. The Constitution has ruled that independence must stand, whatever that definition is. But I do want to tell you where the Constitutional Court might have to stress test this whole issue. It's not about independent candidacy. It's only about vote share versus um, the, the share that you get uh, for the seat. So it's vote share versus seat share. And how does that pass constitutional muster? And that's the debate on the table. But Chair, and then he raised a very good question regarding what do we do in the system where there's such a high proportionality for national parliamentarians to get 80,000 seats to qualify in the provinces um, as, as stated in this, um, uh, this exact bill? There's no other alternative <coughs> but to go to a constituency system. Uh, we've looked at different systems before, and it's just impossible to be able to use the provinces as a, um, as a measure stick. And so I would like the, and that's why Valimusa so clearly stated that that system, even although it came back in the majority report, it's a very difficult system. And I believe the standing, the, um, standing committee is having to do timeframes because I think the only way that they are promoting regions or, or provinces is because of the timeframes. They don't want the IEC to divide it into constituencies, which I believe is something that the IEC needs to um, to talk about. I just want to, in the same token, talk about the vacancies. 
I agree with my previous um, speaker that um, vacancies has been dealt with a lot, but also that will alleviate, if you've got constituencies, the issue of vacancies is so much easier because we've got 4,000 independent candidates, or no, 4,000 councillors in local government. There's local by-elections all the time. It's definitely, a, um, the constituency-based system will definitely alleviate that. And so we do, however, highly support um, that it's a constitutional issue. Um, the public do deserve representation and will not support that that seat will stay vacant until the next election. Um, then the next question, just regarding re the NCOP seat, I uh, joined my colleague as well. Um, I was there in a provincial legislature. The NCOP is the nomination of the legislature. And um, I do not believe it's an insurmountable issue um, and definitely not that important constitutionally because the nomination of an NCOP member comes from the provincial legislature because it's the, um, um, the representation of the provinces in the NCOP. And if the independent candidates as a cluster um, qualify for a seat in the NCOP, I believe that's how that in NCOP um, demarcation will be done. And I really believe it's not insurmountable. Chair, and I wanted to close just um, in the submissions. Um, I must feel like my lecturer that I just did also not communicate that well um, in the sense is that um, the ICA will not support or does not believe in standing as a political party or as a social movement in a election. Uh, we're a professional body governing people. And so if the impression was that uh, we are this whole notion about why don't we form a political party? Because that's what we're wanting to do, consolidate independent candidates. That's not our role. That's not our function. That's not why we exist. We want to be arm bearer and make statesmen and women great to educate them on best practices worldwide, to give them the support um, and the training that they can really be good public servants to serve us and to lift our democracy and add to the texture to make us a great country. I thank you, Chair. Thank you very much. Thanks very much for your... I think there's no intention to encourage uh, yourself to form a political party from the committee. Um, I think comments and questions were raised in the manner that uh, uh, they need to enhance the understanding on the uh, process that yourselves you have presented to the, uh, to the, to the, to, to the committee. Um, and other stakeholders that I think uh, ought to uh, listen to, your, uh, uh, to the presentation. We must thank you for coming to the committee to make your submission, uh, Ms. Uh, uh, Solo and uh, Mr. McKinnick and Dr. Lewis, uh, on behalf of those that you represent or, uh, and we must appreciate uh, the time that you have afforded uh, to, uh, to come here. We have your notes taken, the notes that you have taken. Uh, uh, at the time, the committee is going to deliberate on all the issues that members interested in uh, stakeholders have presented to us. Uh, definitely the committee as a collective, uh, because this platform gives us that opportunity to enhance uh, the understanding and the process and to solicit views from all South Africans, including yourselves. Thanks very much uh, for your time. We'll stand off uh, uh, this presentation. Mr. Matonsi will invite this second two, uh, no, the third and the fourth uh, uh, presenters to 
uh, uh, to take the floor to present, yeah. Mr. Matonzi? Chairperson, the, the next one is the 70, uh, 70s group, and then they'll be followed by Inclusive Society Institute. Thank you very much. Uh, 70s group, we are welcome to interact with us, share your notes uh, with the committee and the colleagues uh, on the on the on the platform. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You can proceed. Thank you, uh, Chairperson and honourable members. If uh, Mr. Matonsi can allow us to share screen, um, I am Sats Cooper, and I represent the joint submission by the 70s Group and the South African Council of Churches. And with me is Ms. Palisa Rachidi, the Secretary of the 70s Group, and Reverend Mzwandi Lemolo, who is the Director for Church and Community Liaison at the SACC. We are not going to deal with the limitations posed by the Constitutional Court decision on uh, enabling independent candidates. We want to go beyond that and we want to take the honorable members to consider a, an approach that we have presented already to the uh, committee chaired by Vali Musa and to the justice and other cluster. It's, it's common cause that there were advantages of the electoral system enjoyed by whites before uh, sorry. 19... So, sorry, sir. Yes. I wanted to check. You wanted to, to do the presentation. It appears if you... You wanted to share the presentation because you, you indicated apparently that you wanted to share. Yes, I am uh, screen sharing. The... Can you see that? No, no, no. Oh, then we'll... we'll yeah, uh, you can we'll... proceed in the meantime, the logistics, you, you, you can do okay. it. Yeah, I'm okay. just, I'm just make, just to highlight that your, your presentation is not uh, on the screen so that you don't have an impression that it's on the screen, but you can continue oh, then the logistics will right. be done by your team. Thank you. Okay. Um, we are under the belief that this portfolio committee has an opportunity to rise above the current problematics associated with this voting system that we inherited as a compact between the parties at negotiation uh, at the end of 1993. We believe that given the state of the country and given the deracination of especially young people from our political system, that we are heading for serious problems. If we merely reform or tinker with an existing system that has already shown such huge problems, as far as the 70s group is concerned, 
we are under the belief that where we need to consider the constitutional court uh, ruling, you're going to get stuck with the logistics, with the kinds of technicalities that already have emerged, and we can foresee major constitutional challenges again, or this matter remaining within the purview of the law. We believe that the political leadership now, represented by yourselves, acutely aware that you are products of an, a proportional representation system that does not give effect to the kinds of issues that we need to meet the needs of the country. So our proposal is a very simple one. In our uh, presentation to you that the members have, we have outlined the advantages of the electoral system enjoyed by primarily whites before the 1994 elections and the disadvantages as well as advantages <coughs> of the current system and ours is a proposal that enables members to create a lasting legacy to avoid the problematics that we already have. Key amongst them is judicial interference in a political system that all of us as political actors need to be clear about. And to that end, we propose what has already been proposed by a commission set up by the Tabo Mbeki administration. And that is a clear constituency-based system, demarcated, enabled for parties to contest, for independents to contest. We even go as far as saying that the president should be elected individually. Parties can nominate uh, presidential candidates and an independent could easily stand for that position as well as for premiers if we retain the current provincial system. All of those, we believe, are within the purview of this parliament to actually consider and emerge with a realistic mechanism to ensure that all our citizens participate fully. Recent elections have shown that the numbers of registered voters have actually declined. With, and this was not merely reflected by the deaths due to COVID and so on with the local government elections of November. The numbers remained almost the same. It reflects a major problem in our democracy of participation. It cannot be that political actors participate and the youth are left behind. We would like to remind ourselves that we confront 
a huge youth population. Our median age is about 28 to 29. The majority of people in this country eligible to vote tend not to get registered because of disaffection, tend not to participate in voting because of the great remove and the party imposition of candidates. Now, in a constituency-based system, parties will play and ought to play a significant role, but this will allow for independents to stand as well. And if an independent comes in, so be it. But if a party comes in, then we've got to stand with that outcome. The huge contestation tends to be around the proportionality. And we believe that because during democracy, the proportional representation system was one we inherited from the compact out of CODESA, we should retain a minority of proportional representation to enable parties to also fill the space. Uh, and it's a backup, if you like, for the 75% we're proposing that should happen in constituencies. Currently, we have constituencies at local government elections. But if you take a poll anywhere, and we have done it amongst our members and amongst the persons we consulted. Uh, once that constitutional court judgment was made in June uh, 2020, many people don't appreciate that there is an individual that you're voting for. And the last election amply provided proof of that. The yard-long uh, list, I don't think it's going to reduce, but it will be because there is such great political contestation. And we urge honorable members, we urge our parliamentary uh, parties and leadership to rise above their own coming to parliament and do what is right for the country. Create the conditions for stability, for certainty in an electoral dispensation where there is trust where there is participation, and importantly, where MPs reflect the wishes of their constituents, not those of their parties. This opportunity is presented for all of us to engage, to create something beyond the limitations of the Constitutional Court judgment. And it may mean that moving forward, we need to review the system of provinces, we need to review our entire electoral system. But to meet our needs, it is easy to create constituencies where you look at what exists. The IEC has all that information, as have many other research institutions, and rely on that to create constituencies where MPs are elected and parties will be represented in Parliament. We thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much for your presentation and your team. Um, we're now going to invite this fourth presenter.
Um, thank you, Chairperson. From our side, we'll have a sh uh, uh, Mr. Ruf Mayer and Professor uh, William Gomede will make uh, short introductory remarks as a response to the bill, and then I will present what we are proposing. So I'll hand over to Ruf immediately. Okay, thank you. Mr. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair. Thank you for this opportunity. It's a privilege to, uh, to address the committee. Uh, and I have followed a little bit of the discussions that were taking place yesterday already. And I think it's not necessary for us to cover the same arguments again, but uh, it's also a pleasure following Mr. Sats Cooper because I think some of the references that he has made uh, will link on to what, what we have to say. I'm here representing uh, uh, Inclusive Society Institute together with uh, Professor William Gomeri and Mr. Daryl Swanepoel, who is the CEO. We have applied our minds and the panel was actually appointed by the Institute to uh, look into the whole matter uh, that was enforced upon the nation by the Concord uh, now almost two years ago. And, and we did a thorough uh, discussion, uh, investigation and uh, deliberations on the matter. And the presentation following that will be made uh, by Mr. Swanepoel as part of this presentation to you. You have, in any case, the report available to the committee already. But let me just emphasize two things, Chair. The one is that, you know, this matter is like in abeyance now for, uh, for an extended period of time. Like Mr. Cooper was saying, uh, the intention at the beginning was that the proportional system as was started off in the 96th constitution was meant to be for the first term. And thereafter, it was uh, the intention that further investigation should take place about the correctness of the electoral system in South Africa. So th the constitutional drafters, the constitutional assembly, uh, clearly had the intention that the matter is not there for or the proportional system as it was intended uh, on the basis of pure proportionality was not intended to be there forever. Uh, that was then followed by the appointment of the task team by the Mbeke administration in the early 2000s. Um, a report was presented by the task team. It was generally known as the Van Sal Slobbert uh, Committee. And, uh, and that report was never further taken forward by means of discussion and or public consultation. Uh, so the matter is therefore over this extended period now, like I said, in abeyance. And I think we have to, to apply our minds while we have this opportunity enforced upon us by the Constitutional Court judgment. Um, Chair, I, I think what is important, secondly, is that if we if we have to deal with this in the right way, and I support the letter by uh, Mr. Vali Musa uh, that, was, that was presented to you yesterday. Uh, I, I support that letter in the sense that he says, we should make sure that this opportunity be used in the interest of the nation at large uh, fully, because it's the most important, like Vali is also saying, it's the most important opportunity for voters for citizens of the country to exercise their democratic right by means of casting a vote. And if it's not done in such a way that, that voters feel um, they, they are really being heard in the right way that they intend to be by means of their choices, 
for the different institutions, be it the National Assembly or consequentially also the uh, Council of Provinces, then, then we neglect our responsibility as those that are taking this matter under consideration. So, so if, if the work of this committee is to be extended, in other words, if you succeed in, in approaching the constitutional court for an extension, I would like to think, Chair, and you're also supporting what Valley Musa was saying, that it's important that a position be, be put to the nation for consultation purposes uh, from this committee. In other words, I think it's important that this committee applies its mind and put forward a position for further consultation and public participation. Um, and, and by the way, Chair, that is, that is how we did it in 1995 and 1996, very specifically when the constitution was drafted. Um, different elements and, 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 and uh, submissions were casted into a draft um, that was put to the people for, con for consultation and public participation. And we had literally rallies around the country where everybody had the opportunity to raise their opinion and give their voices uh, in support of the constitution in whatever they wanted to, to, to make that. So that was, like Valier is saying in his letter, that was the real form of consultation, public con consultation, that we, that we engaged in. And I think since this matter is so serious, we have to ensure that whatever we take forward is based on that, on that concept and on those values of real public participation and consultation. So my point is therefore, Chair, that I think uh, the committee must apply its mind and make sure that it puts forward something that the nation can. Based on the, on the, on the, on the presentations given to you and made to you by, by means of this process that you are un currently undertaking, but that, that the position be put forward that can be properly evaluated by the nation. I know time is of the essence, especially if, if amendments to the Electoral Act has to be made before the next election. Time is certainly of the essence, uh, but I would support a proper process uh, as far as that is. So that is my point of view, Chair. Uh, over to Professor Gumeri. Thank you very much, uh, Prof. Gumeri. Uh, thank you very much. Um, um, good morning, um, um, everyone. I, I'm also going to be very quick. And thank you for the opportunity. What I will do is really look at um, what is actually the, the weaknesses and the challenges of the current bill. Um, I think just the first thing is that the fact that it is a, a, a minimalist uh, approach really is uh, perhaps, um, you know, that's a very, very first uh, a problem um, um, with a bill. I mean, our biggest issue in the country right now is that voters feel that the current system um, does not give them um, the accountability, almost that they vote, you know, they cannot vote or get the candidates um, and, and that they actually uh, uh, won. And that undermines not only the electoral system, but it also under, uh, underlines, uh, undermines uh, democracy um, itself uh, uh, broadly. Now, the Constitution, of course, emphasizes propor proportionality uh, and it aims for proportionality. Now, but the challenge is um, the, the Constitution is unclear about the kind of uh, proportionality 
proportionality. But what is quite important is that the constitution says parliament can change the electoral system. So I think this is a real opportunity um, to resolve our current problems um, of the current system. Now, the current bill is not resolving um, the current problems of our system. So if it's introduced, we will still have the weakness uh, um, of the whole electoral system. So it will almost mean that if we introduce this a minimalist approach, that we're actually not dealing uh, uh, with a real issue and that the same issues uh, re- remain. Now, what are the challenges of, of, of the current system and, and, and the bill itself? Now, the first thing is, is that voters are represented through multiple parties. So representation is not in the form of multiple candidates. Um, voters do not have direct representation to candidates and voters do not select the internal candidates of parties who will become the representatives. Voters also, of course, do not elect a president, but the party candidates do so. And the system also produces elected representatives and, and the president, of course, is chosen by the party. Now, the system has boosted party representation, but not accountability. Uh, and in the closed party candidate list system, what it does is it undermines participatory democracy as voters cannot select their candidates directly. And then voters cannot also hold individual representatives accountable. And they cannot, of course, recall uh, um, un- um, uncaring um, representatives. Now, the, the next group of challenges of the current system is that uh, there's a lack of fairness in the relation between the votes cast and then the composition of the legislatures. Um, so there's a compromise there. Similarly, there's a lack of fairness in the relation between the votes cast and the composition of cabinet. Um, and so because if parties select candidates and not voters, the voters do not select the candidates, but the parties do so, uh, it just means that uh, the, the representatives in the elect- legislature are beholden to the parties and not um, um, to the voters. Now, what, what does that really imply for the overall system? It just means that legislation essentially becomes accountable to the parties and then not to the citizens. And then it, legislation, in a sense, becomes lame duck because, and it loses, legislation lose public credibility because they are accountable essentially um, um, to parties. And it also forces the country into extra parliamentary politics. So that's why we're seeing all of many of our politics are happening outside uh, parliament. It also forces the courts to step in to play uh, oversight. And then, of course, large numbers of voters then are disaffected and the youth um, stay away um, from the multi um, uh, party uh, system. Now, uh, to end off, what would be the core elements of a new system? Uh, we need a greater ability of voters to directly elect candidates. Um, and a greater direct voter say in how party candidates are also elected. And then, of course, voters must be able to recall uh, incompetent or uncaring elected um, um, representatives. The system must uh, allow more independence, uh, which is currently uh, the minimum uh, proposals uh, on the floor, of course. Uh, and then a pro- proportionality of candidates, not necessarily parties. And then the electoral system must encourage diversity now to uh, dem- demo- demographic, ethnic and religious diversity through diversity of candidates. And it must be relatively simple to administer and it must be relatively simple to navigate 
by voters. And to end off, I think this is a real opportunity to change the whole system. And and I think if 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 Parliament asks for a for or, or a committee asks for an extension to to give public participation. Uh, or an opportunity for public participation, it must be in the spirit that a whole system will be changed. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Prof, uh, for for the presentation. Uh, thanks very much, uh, Mr. Cooper uh, and the team. Is there any other... Uh, prof, can I get an indication? It appears there's, there's another one must present on your yeah, behalf. I- Person, I'm trying to share the screen. Okay. Seem to, it doesn't seem to be working. No, no. Yeah, you're on the screen. Yeah, it's now. Yeah. Yeah, but I can't. I can't page it up or down. Yeah, yep. I will not. Yeah, I, I will not know. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, chairperson, let me just um, speak to it then. Um. I don't know why it's not shared. I don't know if we can share it. Mr. Matonzi, Mr. Matons, there's there's no way we can assist. To intervene so that we chairperson um adam here i will try a share on his behalf yeah let's intervene in the meantime uh, you can proceed with all, the, all right the i will i will start uh, so we don't don't space waste too much time just to start off by mr mayor did re- refer to the um to the uh, um uh, panel that uh, put this together uh, just to say that it was um a quite an extensive panel of academics um former politicians and people that are involved in everyday activities. So uh, it was quite an authoritative panel. Please move on. Please move on. So we took uh, the following criteria into account when when the panel uh, was considering. First of all, it obviously had to accommodate the independent candidates. It also had to adhere to the constitutional prescripts requiring the legislature to be proportional in general. And this is an important point. The Constitution says, in general, proportional representation. And that deals, we believe, with the excess vote that independents can get, uh, which we'll refer to a little later. Uh, We did not uh, envisage any uh, changes to the Constitution. It should be a system that is easily administrable by the Electoral Commission. Uh, It should promote gender uh, parity. And an important point that it should promote demographic and geographic inclusiveness, representativity, and uh, also accountability. Please move on. Please move on. Yeah, there we are. So there are basically three approaches. The minimalistic approach, which this bill to a certain extent is, um, and we believe that that does not improve accountability or representativity in any way. The second is the first past the post that you typically get in places like, for example, United Kingdom. Um, that would make it difficult to comply with constitutional uh, uh, um, requirement of proportionality. And uh, it also, if you have a pure constituency model, there could be large swathes of the country that is dominated by by a single party. So we have come up with a hybrid model, what we call uh, multi-member constituencies, and that would uh, combine uh, constituency representation with proportionality. Please move on. Please move on. Right, so what we are proposing is 400 seats. Uh, 300 of the seats will come from 66 um, multi-member constituencies, and 100 representatives will be elected via the compensatory PR list. So the 66 multi-member constituencies that we're proposing will be based on 
the district council and municipal boundaries. Um, therefore, one doesn't have to go through extended um, demarcation, war demarcation, constituency demarcation processes. Uh, those boundaries are already in place. Where a district council may have just a too small a number of members to warrant a constituency, there we have combined uh, uh, two or three smaller district um, councils. And in the big metropolitan areas where it would not make sense to have one uh, multi-member constituency across the whole city, we divided amongst the sub-regional lines of, um, of that metropolitan council. In a place like Cape Town, for example, there would be eight multi-member constituencies in, um, in, in Cape Town. Approximately 89,000 voters per seat would uh, make up um, the decision to between three and seven members per constituency. Please move on. So um, the seat allocation, obviously, there will be uh, the independent candidates in their own name and then party candidates according to what we are proposing, a closed list for each of the multi-member constituencies. So each MMC, a party would put up a list in each MMC of between three to seven members. Uh, with regard to the compensatory PR list, there we are saying that only parties share on the PR list. In our view, an independent candidate can not be no more than a single pers person. Uh, independent is an independent. Um, this point was brought up by one of the members this morning as well in terms of the definition. And what our proposal does do is if independent candidates want to share in the excess vote uh, that they get, there is an alternative option for them where they could stand as independents uh, under the banner of an independent group of some form or another. Um, so please move on. Please move on. So the ballot paper we are proposing is the simplest of all the presentations that I've seen so far. There will be the voter, the voter will be confronted with two ballot papers in the polling station, a national and a provincial. And that's what the ballot paper would look like. You'd have your list of parties with the independent candidates um, listed uh, alphabetically. Please move on. So um, the, the other models uh, propose two two at each level. So if, if, if you look at, you, uh, if, you would, if you would go into a polling station on election day, if you have uh, uh, separate papers for ward candidates or constituency candidates and PR candidates, that means people would be confronted with four uh, papers per constituency. We are proposed, proposing just the two papers. Uh, please move on for, for, for time. The presentation is available to the members and the full report as well. So to participate, um, parties represented in Parliament, we say there are no further requirements for new parties or parties not yet in Parliament. Uh, we are proposing that one focuses on uh, getting seconding signatures, not monetary, uh, so that uh, you do not put a financial barrier in place for new parties or independents to participate. And we give the formula there what we are proposing, a very manageable number of voters that would have to second you. And uh, when, when, when you decide to participate uh, for an election, you must at least have some sort of, uh, some sort of support. You cannot just uh, stand up there. There are costs involved for, uh, for the IEC, for the printing of ballot papers, for the administration. So you must at least demonstrate that you have some support before accessing the ballot. The ballot. Please proceed.
So in our modeling, which the members can look in our, in our full report that we've provided to the committee, we have, we have uh, seen, we have looked what would happen if the 2019 election were to have been held on this model that we are proposing. And what we found is that the exact power ratios between the various political parties will be maintained under the new system. So it doesn't distort uh, the, 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 the PR proportionality in any way. And what it also does, it reflects in the various, uh, in the various strongholds of the political parties in their various regions, that, that comes through very, uh, very strongly in our model as well. Please move on. So uh, what, we are, uh, what, we, what we are saying, if you want compares this, uh, the bill on the table, what are the two main changes that are required? The first is uh, the bill as presented provides for nine regional lists. We are saying where in within each region there are there's proportional representation. We are saying simply extend that to 66 regions, what we call multi-member constituencies, and you'll have many PR elections in each of those constituencies. What that guarantees, it guarantees that each geographic area in the country will have multi-party representation. And the second conceptual change is that uh, we allocate 300 seats to the regions, that's the 66 constituencies, and 100 to the national list. Um, Chairperson, I see our time has now run out. Uh, we've got a number of preemptive arguments. Um, maybe just quickly go through it, just move on. No, no, you can. I'm, you, you can. Can I go? Am I okay? Yeah, I can give five minutes. Uh, okay, all right, great. I made this point before that um, if one uh, if if one has single seat constituencies, it comes at the expense of endured diversity within geographic areas. In the northern provinces, for example, where one political party is fully uh, uh, is, is got a very strong hold, you can have all the constituencies um, um, electing. Uh, representatives of one party and the opposition parties would then be relegated to participate in the PR list only. So that, that we believe is uh, problematic. And also, um, it may result in uh, the compensatory seats having an overrun, such as you have in the German model, which, which, is, which is in itself problematic. Even Germany is now looking at electoral reform because of that constituency and PR vote. Please move on. I think that is, uh, that is it. Um, thank you very much, Chairperson, for the uh, opportunity. And uh, we, are, we are available for further interrogation and uh, we'll deal with the questions as they come. Thank you very much. Thank you very much uh, for the uh, presentations made, uh, <clears throat> led by Mr. Cooper and led by Mr. Mayer uh, and your team. We'll invite members to comment or make interaction with the presentation that has been made. Uh, I will, uh, I have noted that the difficulties of the network, uh, I think uh, of some of our colleagues, I will invite Honorable Pillay, Honorable Mulekwa, Honorable Kanile, veteran Lakota, um, and Honorable Hwase for comments on the, uh, these two uh, presentations. Thank you. Chairperson, um, thank you very much to both presenters. Um, 
So the first one for me is just to seek clarity. If one is proposing constituencies or demarcated into constituencies, uh, I think it's for the first presentation, what sort of number are we looking at in terms of a proposal, uh, in terms of constituencies? So it, it obviously gives us an understanding because the current number of members within the assembly and how that's going to be broken up. So I just need to seek clarity. And the other, other clarity I want to seek is on the, the last presentation where it talks about 66 districts. Now we currently have um, 278, I stand to be corrected, municipalities. How then did they reach this number of um, 66? And does that mean that you are going to cluster municipalities? And if so, how does one individual or member be able to service such a large geographic area. Um, I also want to ask Chairperson, how did the ISI arrive at 300 seats for independent candidates and 100 seats for the compensatory proportional representation for political parties? I think I just need to, to understand how they've arrived um, at that. Um, and lastly, I think just coming back to constituency-based, uh, again, based on a provincial legislature and a national legislature, if a particular, uh, well, both party or independent is contesting a space of a constituency, where will they take up the seat? Will they take up the seat at the provincial legislature or will they take up the seat at the national legislature? Thank you. Thank you, uh, Honorable uh, Pile. Honorable Muleko. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Uh, Let me also note uh, the presentation presented today on the amendment of uh, the electoral uh, bill. Chairperson, I don't have much of the question, but I just want to request the all inclusive society all inclusive the inclusive society institute to elaborate more on the on their proposal on the 300 regional seat versus 100 seat to the nation so that i couldn't hear clearly what uh, was the explanation uh, on this issue thank you very much chairperson thank you very much honorable kanile Thank you, Chairperson. Um, we appreciate and acknowledge all the presentations that we have received today, Chairperson. And we appreciate the clarity on the initial issue that we have had because initially we were under the impression that um, the presenters wanted to, the independents um, to, 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 to contest the elections as a collective. So the clarity is well accepted. Um, I also would like to emphasize on the question that has been raised by both my colleagues in terms of the numbers. There was a presenter that mentioned something about 300 seats that should be allocated to independents. I'm not sure if um, I captured him correctly. Uh, can you please just get clarity on the 300 and the 100 seats, Chairperson? Thank you so much. Thank you very much, uh, Veteran Lakota. Thank you, uh, Chairperson. I I must say that I find this uh, presentation of this morning opening up uh, 
this question fairly widely and it's very informative how many other issues we had not reflected on. I would like to ask whether we will we can have the presentations so that we can have some limited amount of time to study them and then to, uh, to respond. I don't know what is possible with regard to that. Um, but certainly, especially with regard to the very last uh, presentation, uh, would like to really get copies of that and look at it and uh, uh, so that we can enrich uh, our thinking on this question. This is a very complex and very, very important uh, issue to improve our democracy. Thank you. No, thanks, Veteran Lukota. Okay. Veteran, I don't, I think the purpose of this uh, oral submissions, uh, the, the presentation has been sent to our attention. Uh, we've mm-hmm. gone through, I think, it's just to highlight some of the issues that I think uh, colleagues since yesterday and today they've, uh, they've highlighting uh, will make sure that uh, the, the admin circulate uh, for to your attention, all the submissions that are there. But I think you're raising a, a proper point that the notes that have been presented will interface with them as we proceed in our engagement. I'm not sure how I'm going to, uh, uh, you are going to attempt to respond. Uh, uh, I'm going to assist uh, so that we don't waste uh, we don't uh, uh, limit the team that has been. Mr. Cooper, you'll, you will respond and give indication as to the addition from your team to make comments. And uh, Mr. Uh, Mayor, Ruth Mayor, you will also respond and give indication if the uh, a team uh, to, uh, to, 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 to make comments. Uh, let me just work in that manner so that at least it's clearer from your uh, team. Mr. Cooper? Uh, thank you, Chairperson. We do not propose that the current 400-member uh, ceiling be increased at all. What we are proposing is that there be 75% of that should be direct constituency-based elections. This will accommodate individuals who wish to stand, so-called independents. Uh, The IEC uh, is tasked with these responsibilities and demarcations can be made accordingly. Clearly, there will be some areas, uh, large conurbations with huge uh, population density, where there'll be many uh, MPs. In large geographic areas, on the other hand, there'll be dispersed populations, and I think a reasonable approach should be taken to ensure that that poor MP doesn't have to travel uh, much more than scores of kilometers uh, uh, radius to be able to cater for 
her constituency. To that end, if we look at, and, and fortunately there is a census underway, but assuming that half the population are eligible and uh, above the age of 21 to vote, then you're dealing with roughly a constituency of about 100,000. That should not become a mechanistic approach. It should take into account other factors as well. So some MPs will have higher density constituencies, others will have lower density constituencies, and all of that is within the purview of the IEC to consider. They have all the data from all our elections thus far, and this will accommodate some of the, uh, the suggestions made by subsequent speakers. I want to point out uh, what you have already pointed uh, said, Chairperson, uh, that these presentations are available. We've also given an email where uh, members can uh, communicate with us. But we do believe that we, all of you know the SACC. It's been our conscience for decades how, uh, and represents uh, the organized uh, churches in our country. The 70s group is anti-sectarian, anti-racist, and anti-sexist in our quest towards ensuring a common humanity. And it, as founding president uh, Mandela said, we were the spark that lit a felt fire across South Africa in the 70s. And some of the honorable members present, including my comrade Lakota, is part of that uh, a grouping, if you like. Uh, we are very political, but not partisan. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Cooper. I'm sure you are, uh, no one will make audition on your part. Can I confirm that? No, Chairperson. Uh, okay. Our delegation is fine. No, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Cooper. Mr. Mayor? Uh, Chair, thank you very much. I'm going to ask Mr. Swanepoel to respond on our behalf uh, to the three questions that were directed at us. Darryl? Thank you very much. Mr. Swanepoel? Sure. So, so the, the, the main uh, 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 question that came out uh, from, from a number of members was uh, a misunderstanding uh, suggesting that we said that 300 candidates would go to independence and 100 would go to PR list. This is not correct. What we are saying is that you will have 66 multi-member constituencies across the country. In each of those constituencies, uh, parties will be, put, will be able to put up between three and seven candidates. That three to seven candidates as a whole will add up to 300 seats. So it's not 300 independent seats, it's 300 seats that would be contested by parties and independents. Um, then there will be a compensatory list of 100, which will be used to ensure overall proportionality uh, in the legislature. We are saying that that overall proportionality will be calculated for the parties and not the independence. The independence will only participate in the MMC portion of the vote. So I hope that that has made it clearer. If not, maybe Ruth can, can just uh, elaborate on that. 
but it's 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 66 constituencies, three to seven seats per constituency. Those three to seven seats per constituency are contested by parties and independents. And to ensure the overall proportionality, you have the 100 seats. So that deals with that question. Then uh, with the question as regards to the municipalities and so forth, so there are, there are 200, I think 246 municipalities, but there are 44 districts in the country. And what we are proposing is that one uses those district boundaries as the multi-member constituency. Um, uh, there are certain areas like, for example, in the Northern Cape, where uh, there are very low numbers in district councils. In that case, we say put two or three neighboring, I think our model doesn't go beyond two uh, district councils that are combined to form an MMC. But on the other hand, in the cities like in Cape Town and Johannesburg, you cannot have uh, one multi-member constituency with 3 million voters. So there what we've done is we have divided uh, uh, it along the regional line. So in a city like Cape Town, there would be something like eight um, MMCs within the city of Cape Town. Now, the beauty about this is I hear, heard uh, about demarcation processes. Demarcation processes are long and drawn out processes which could take years. Um, in, there's no ways that a demarcation process can be executed in time for the 2024 election. What we are proposing by using the, the boundaries of the current uh, district municipalities is that no demarcation process is needed. All that is needed is for the IEC to allocate the voters per voting districts that fall within that, uh, within that uh, uh, district, district municipality. And that is a very easy, easy process which can be executed administratively in a very short space of time. Um, with regards to the number of um, number of voters per MMC, so in uh, in an MMC of three, there will be around two hundred sixty-seven thousand voters in that MMC. Uh, within uh, a seven-seat MMC, there will be around, I think, it is something like um, uh, just over half a million, half a million voters, or six between half a million and six hundred thousand voters, but. Per seat, so per per member that sits in Parliament, you will carry the mandate of eighty nine thousand registered voters. Of course, um, uh, you would need a lot less because uh, not all registered voters come out to vote. But the, the, but through this process, we are hoping that you'll create enthusiasm and get higher a higher voter turnout. I think that deals with those three questions. Um, our, our, our full explanation and the modelling where you can see how the seats are allocated. I have forwarded to the, to the portfolio committee. So please, please have a look at that. Thank you very much. Uh, Chair, if I may, it's Rolf. Rolf. Okay, thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, just one correction. The number of districts in the country are actually 52. And added to that are the metros. And that brings the total to 66. I think it's important that we just uh, reflect on that correctly. Uh, but like Daryl is saying, it, the, the full understanding will be clearer if one has a look at the report that we presented as the panel. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Mr. Rufmeyer and your colleagues, uh, and Mr. Cooper and your colleagues. 
for having uh, presented uh, the views uh, that uh, in order to enhance the uh, bill and the issues that you have raised carefully uh, noted in terms of the process. Uh, and I think it will enhance our work as part of a, a, a collective consultation with our people, yourself, the stakeholders. Uh, we really appreciate uh, the good work that we've been put in terms of this uh, process. We're going to stand off the item. Uh, we're going to invite the, the fifth uh, presenter, uh, Mr. Matonzi will highlight, and then we uh, within that uh, process. Mr. Matonzi? Yes, Chair, the next presenter is from Indigenous First Nation of South Africa, followed by the New Nation Movement. Thanks, Chair. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, you are welcome to interact with the committee and members of the, the colleagues who are on the platform uh, to share notes on the, uh, the views uh, that uh, we must enhance our work as a collective, including yourself and the people of South Africa. You can proceed. Chairperson? Yes. I think the gentleman was on the platform before. I don't see his name anymore, unless if he's using a different name now. If maybe we can proceed to a, a new nation uh, movement. Can you can you just check uh, on the site if they are still in so that if there are difficulties on the on this site, we're able to properly inform the committee. Um, can you proceed to the new nation? You're welcome, colleagues, to present, then we'll take the, the other presentation. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Chair. I'm not sure whether I'm, I'm audible. Uh, yes, 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 yes. You're audible. Uh, you're audible. All right. Um, thank you again. Uh, once more for this opportunity. Uh, we take it as a privilege that we can. We are also invited to be part of this process. Uh, before I proceed, I just want to highlight that I'm not alone. I'm accompanied by uh, Mande Samashekho, who is going to uh, take over when I'm done. Um, I think maybe first and foremost, I just want you know to to acknowledge the fact that this. Um, we, sorry, this is a critical can, time that we sorry sorry i think there's something that is disrupting yourself or the meeting i'm not sure somebody didn't move uh, we'll appreciate if we can uh, uh, we move so that our presenters at least are audible thank, thank you colleagues you can proceed <clears throat> all right i think maybe just a couple of Yeah, you're now disrupting uh, yourself. I can see you. Yeah, we can hear. We can. You have muted. You, 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 you have muted, so we can hear you. Am I? Am I audible yeah. now? Yeah, no, no, you're fine. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> All right. 
Okay. Thank you once more for, for this opportunity to present. I think I, I just want to highlight a couple of things, one of which uh, is that it, it has been very said that these processes, uh, we are here because New Nation Movement and others took this matter to the Constitutional Court and won. Uh, but we have been sidelined throughout the processes. I mean, if you look at um, the, you know, the, 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 the groups that were contacted uh, to give inputs even to the Valumusa team, uh, we were not part of that process. And I think even what is more certain is that we had extended uh, the hand to the IEC to say we are here, we are available uh, to make all the contributions that are necessary to make sure that there is no delay uh, in actually implementing the constitutional court judgment. It is also worth noting that the, the speaker had requested 36 months uh, in her affidavit to the concord uh, to say they would need, you guys would need 36 months. Uh, and we, we instructed our legal team not to ad- agree, you know, to that request because we understood that if you guys were given 36 months right from the beginning, uh, you would probably do the same thing that you guys have done, uh, taking, I mean, literally, I don't think there was any action uh, that was done, or at least that was visible to us, and not just as the public, but as the litigants who actually took up this matter uh, to the Constitutional Court. So I am raising that to say um, we, we, we are very concerned with how this matter has been handled. Now we're also hearing uh, people are, are assuming that there's just going to be an, an extension. And if I, if I can take you back uh, to the 25th of August, if I'm correct, I think the very first sitting of the Portfolio Committee on, on Home Affairs uh, around the issue of the electoral reform, the Honorable Member of the ANC, uh, Honorable Gianchi, uh, when uh, the Honorable uh, Saima Mamulo was presenting on behalf of the IEC, Honorable Gianchi said, please, IEC, don't tell us that we are going to need 36 months or 24 months. Give us a clear roadmap. And on the basis of the roadmap that you will give us, we will then be able to, be, to tell whether is there going to be a need for an extension for the 24 months is going to be sufficient. Unfortunately, um, as far as we're concerned, nothing much was done. Uh, it, only, it took about 15 months before there was any tangible action on the side of the, um, of the IEC and, and you guys. Uh, coming now to our presentation, the, the landmark judgment between the New Nation Movement and others versus the President of South Africa and others was not only significant, because of the agency and hope it brought to the disillusioned and despondent South African electorate. It was also critically important on the basis that the frequency of the opportunity to amend the Electoral Act is a once in a one or two generations process. Thus, the importance of this process can never be overemphasized. However, the legislative arm of our government seems indifferent to this very evident fact. For us as the new nation, we find this apparent apath very strange and take strong exception to the fact that parliament does not seem to be treating this critical matter uh, with the agency and the weight it deserves. 
the order to parliament to review the electoral act was given more than 20 months ago yet parliament is only receiving the very first public submissions now that on its own reflects the kind of attitude parliament and the executive uh, have towards this process of electoral reform it has been suggested that between 17 and 19 million eligible voters did not vote and some did not even bother to register to vote in the 2019 national general elections, mainly due to a loss of trust um, in, in the current system. Many of those that did not vote or did not even bother to register to vote had felt that the process of electoral reform would change that dire picture significantly. Yet parliament and the executive seem hell-bent on short-circuiting this crucial process by proposing menial amendments, arguably just to satisfy the constitutional court ruling, instead of seeing this as an opportunity to show leadership and display to the ordinary South Africans that they are a listening government. It is with this background that we feel that the following critical elements should have been taken into account when looking at the amendments to be made. Firstly, Advocate Pensita Kola asked a pertinent question um, in one of the TV interviews that we had. What are we trying to solve? The answer is very simple. We are trying to solve the problem of the legitimacy of representation. Let me repeat that. The problem we are trying to solve here is the legitimacy of representation. Within that is contained the critical issue of citizens' direct accountability. To this end, we have had challenges of having proxies representing us in parliament in the form of political parties for the last 27 years. Every five years, going to the polls to sign an extension of the power of attorney to have political parties govern us and take unilateral decisions on our behalf as citizens without consulting the nation. The truth is, this system has been legal, but not lawful. Neither was it a legitimate representation of the will of the people. Secondly, it is against this backdrop that and the constitutional court judgment that we propose that a majority non-partisan system that places the citizens at the center of governance, citizens governing themselves by themselves for themselves. This, we believe, will give a greater and truer expression of the concept and idea of power to the people. The critical elements um, of the proposal being the following that South Africa is currently made up of 52 district municipalities. Um, the Honorable Rolf Mayer was correcting um, his colleague, uh, Mr. Swanepo, uh, but I think the correct interpretation there is that currently we have 44 district municipalities together with the eight metros. And when you add the two, 44 plus eight metros, you then get 52 district municipalities. So that is our understanding. And we propose that these 52 district municipalities be retained as they are and recognize them 
as 52 multi-member constituencies that citizens can be organized in for the purposes of voting. We believe that it would eliminate the need to re-demarcate the nation for the purposes uh, of accommodating independent candidates in the national election and save time instead of reinventing the process that already exists and working well. Of the utmost importance is that the seats must belong to the multi-member constituencies, not the representatives. Uh, we, we really want to emphasize this point uh, to say we, we believe that if you want uh, to make sure that we do not find ourselves um, in the situation that we're in, where public representatives are easily bought, we would strongly uh, propose that these seats must belong to those multi-member constituencies as opposed to the, the representatives. And then those multi-member constituencies will then appoint representatives to advance their cause both in the National Assembly and in the provincial legislature. This will not violate the right contained in Section 19.3b that every adult citizen has the right to stand for public office and if elected to hold office. Instead, we believe that it would strengthen the voice, um, the voice of the constituencies and help prevent the abuse of power that could be given to an individual without any citizen's direct accountability. So effectively, this would enable the citizens' associations to have the compensatory seats that are currently reserved for political parties only and give them the same status as the political parties. Um, the last point that I want to make before I actually engage the, the judgment itself is that one of the things that we think are also extremely important is that these constituencies should have the power uh, of recourse or to recall uh, their representatives if they are not happy uh, with the commitment shown by the said representatives. But again, this must be done within the context of, pro of, of providing security uh, even for the representatives. Uh, Chair, I had actually, I had also requested Eddie to put up the, um, the judgment uh, because I just wanted to speak to maybe uh, four or five pages of that judgment because I think it's fundamentally important that we understand the fact that we are here. Thank you so much. Uh, I think I was saying, I think it's fundamentally important that we understand that this process that we are undertaking now, it is, it is taking place precisely not because uh, Parliament was so generous and thought that it was appropriate for us to have this process. But it was because um, after many years of engaging with the IEC uh, and our, our pleas falling on deaf ears, we, uh, under the recommendation, by the way, of the IEC themselves, uh, had to go to the Constitutional Court. And, and the, I believe that the ruling becomes important to form the basis of even the um, um, 
the kind of electoral system that we are going to have. So if we can just go to page um, page fifth, page eight, please let's go to page eight for me, Eddie, uh, point number 15. Thank you, sir. Uh, here, Justice Madlanga says, before I proceed to deal with the interpretative exercise, let me mention that a lot was said about which electoral system is better, which system better affords the electorate accountability, etc. That is the territory this judgment will not venture into. The pros and cons of this or the other system are best left to parliament, which in terms of section 46, 1A and 105, 1A of the constitution has the mandate to prescribe an electoral system. This court's concern is whether the chosen system is compliant with the constitution. I am touching on this point because I am hearing a lot of uh, 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 points being made about um, you know, whether is this about independent candidates or not. And we're going to, I think as we go further, you will see um, uh, some of the, the points that I'm trying to make. But, but critically here, parliament is the one that is given the mandate to prescribe an electoral system. But the constitutional court responsibility is to make sure that the electoral system that parliament prescribes to us is compliant with the constitution. Let's go to number um, point number 16. All right, section 193b is part of closely related rights that the constitution deliberately groups together as political rights. Okay, I think, all right. They are so interconnected that they have to be read together for effect, or for effect, let me quote section 19 in full. This is Justice Madlanga. Please, uh, let's go down to the next page. Every citizen is free. No, let's go back to that page. Every citizen is free to make political choices which includes, note that word, includes, but not limited to, which includes the right to form a political party, to participate in the activities of or recruit members for a political party, and to campaign for a political party or cause. Every citizen has the right to free, fair, and regular elections for any legislative body established in terms of the constitution. Every adult citizen has the right to vote in elections for any legislative body established in terms of the constitution and to do so in secret and to stand for public office and if elected, hold office. Point 17, I want to lay emphasis on subsection one. It affords every citizen the freedom to make political choices. The fact that what are itemized in the subsection as being the choices a citizen is free to make, all relate to political parties, does not mean those choices concern political parties only. 
if that were the case, instead of saying these rights or freedoms include, the subsection would simply have said the rights are. The present formulation means that the rights are more than what is itemized. As the first applicant submits, paragraphs A to C of section 19, subsection 1, are mere examples of political choices. They do not cover the field of what section 19.1 protects. A conscious choice not to form or join a political party is as much a political choice as is the choice to form or join a political party. And it must equally be deserving of protection. If I were to just end the uh, chair, the point that I'm making here is that I've heard Honorable Pillay, you know, trying to make a separation in terms of what the judgment entails and what the mandate of this committee is. For me, what is very clear from the, 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 the portions of the judgment that I've read is that one, section 19.3, in fact, section 19 speaks about the political choices and what is itemized there is not, is, is not elaborate. It is not comprehensive, but it contains components of political choices. And one of our submissions is that as we are undertaking this process, the issue of allowing uh, citizens' associations to form part of this process becomes important because we believe that that is the spirit uh, and not just the letter, but even the letter of this judgment does allude to that. Let's go to point number 19 on page 10, the next page. Then Justice Madlanga says, I cannot but incline towards the applicant's reading of, sub, of section 19.3b. On that reading, there is consonance between the two subsections. At best, for the respondents, section 19.3b appears to be neutral. On its face, it does not say that when an adult citizen wants to exercise the right to stand for public office and if elected to hold office, she must do so through a political party. It is exactly because of that appearance of neutrality that we must avoid the conflict that otherwise will result. Let me read um, this again. On its face, it does not say that when an adult citizen wants to exercise the right to stand for public office and if elected to hold office, she or he must do so through a political party. Uh, Honorable Chair, if you read again, um, you know, point number 19 of the judgment, it is very clear that this judgment was seeking to say people have political choices and they still have the right of association. But that right of association does not have to be expressed via political parties. It can be expressed even in other forms. Let me go to maybe to the last um, point that I want to read, uh, point number 22 on page 11. 
Section 18 of the Constitution provides that everyone has the right to freedom of association. In its traditional sense, this right is associated more with the positive than the negative element. The positive element is about the right of an individual to be free to form an association with whomsoever she or he wishes for whatever purpose. Of course, the purpose must be one that is worthy of protection under section 19. Uh, let's go maybe to the very last one, page 12.23. Starting with the positive element, its, signif its significance is highlighted by Alexis de Coville, who more than one and a half centuries ago said, the most natural privilege of a person next to the right of acting for her or himself is that of combining her or his exertions with those of her or his fellow creatures and of acting in common with them. The right of association, therefore, appears to me almost as inalienable in its nature as the right of personal liberty. No legislator can attack it without impairing the foundations of society. With everything that I've read, um, uh, uh, Honorable Chair, I want to submit that I'm hoping that these pieces or these portions that I have read uh, are putting to bed the questions that um, in, in this process of putting together a legislation, we are just looking at either political party or independent candidates. I think these portions that I've read clearly indicate that what the, the, the New Nation movement was crying out for was that people should not be forced to express their political choices via political parties only. But the fact that people may have lost confidence in the political party and the partisan system um, it doesn't mean that we have lost confidence in the power of the collective coming together and making those uh, uh, decisions together. Uh, so I think with everything that I've said, I, 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 I believe that, you know, the, there's clarity uh, in terms of what the judgment, the letter and the spirit of the judgment entailed, uh, and that we should strongly consider citizens' assembly uh, being allowed as, as, as a vehicle and as a platform for citizens to express their political choices uh, without those uh, citizens' assemblies being political parties. Thank you. Uh, I think Mandisa can take it from me. Thank you, uh, uh, Mr. Lani Nko. Uh, for your uh, presentations. Uh, I'm trying to, 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 to sort guidance uh, because you attempted to exhaust your minutes. Um, and I, I'm trying to, 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 yeah, I'm trying to because we, we probably need to be consistent with the approach you have taken as a committee and as colleagues. Um, 
and I don't want to suppress Miss Mandisama Shifu, but I'm trying to say that you have attempted to, or you have exhausted your, 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 your time. But in our discourse, will will allow her to uh, uh, to contribute on the areas where uh, uh, she did not. I'm raising this because I don't want other stakeholders uh, or members who presented yesterday and today uh, 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 raise an area of uh, uh, time allocation. Uh, that's my point uh, of caution. Uh, Ms. Mandi Samashio, you can uh, proceed. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I would have also raised my hands in any event to save you from uh, the fear of looking like you are somehow positively discriminating in our favor. I think what we all need to remember, and thank you so much, uh, Comrade um, uh, Bulilani Mkoshi Swa, by the way, that's his surname. Oh, uh, okay. thank Mka you. Not Mko. No, I think um, it's Mine are really just quick inputs um, to, you know, um, give added expression to everything that was presented by uh, Bulelani. I think what is very interesting also is that there's a common thread uh, amongst um, some of the presenters. I know uh, Mr. Ruth Mayer, as well as some of his colleagues, I think Professor Gumete from the Inclusive Society Institute, um, as well as others, I made notes of them. Sorry, I just forgot. Um, I think Seth, Seth Cooper as well with the 70s group and SACC uh, concur with the 75 uh, to 25% split uh, proposed by the New Nation Movement, uh, the litigants of this revolutionary action, really. Uh, mine is always to start by congratulating the New Nation Movement because had it not been for their bold actions to actually go to the constitutional court versus make just you know, making public uh, political uh, statements that end up nowhere, we wouldn't be having such a directive because really this is a directive for, 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 for Parliament, uh, the Speaker's Office and the IEC to really get the ball rolling um, and, 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 and reiterate uh, Bulelani's comments earlier that it's, so, it's very tragic that um, this uh, judgment, uh, Concord judgment has been obviously deliberately stalled. I mean, Parliament has all the resources it requires and the infrastructure it requires to kickstart proper public uh, participation and public engagements with the citizens of South Africa. Secondly, also to say that I think all of us must remember that this is not a con about contest contestation of power. Yes, at face value, especially for men, it might seem that it's about contestation of power, but it's not. This is about how do we build and rebuild South Africa and destroy the negative uh, elements that have been... Uh, you know, brought to our society by proportional representation indirectly and directly um, as a direct consequence of growing violence, growing uh, political intolerance and growing inequality in terms of power relations internally within parties, especially for women, um, for women, uh, you know, citizens and, and, and registered voters. The key elements that I would like to add, uh, as we had agreed with uh, the, the, the leadership of New Nation Movement, is that the mass education campaign 
as part of the process of amending, you know, introducing whatever bill in order to to bring about the amendments which the Constitutional Court has directed, by the way. (laughs) This is the Constitutional Court didn't make a recommendation. Um, And also, like uh, Bulani uh, emphasized earlier, that there was a time frame given in the judgment, and we are way, 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 way behind uh, that time frame. And obviously, you can't blame us for being suspicious and not trusting Parliament and uh, the South African government based on our lived experiences over the last 27 years, all of us, really or many of us, if I, if I, if I could say, um, that, that we don't trust that, uh, you know, they, they, they had legitimate reasons for delaying implementation of this uh, constitutional judgment, which really can't be reviewed or amended or changed. So the critical elements that we need to add are the elements of education, because South African citizens, as it stands, don't really understand the democratic uh, systems <laughs> You know, majority of our citizens are still situated in peri-urban, rural and underdeveloped township um, areas. And obviously, we are talking about mainly black people who are also impoverished and therefore economically, um, you know, uh, prevented from sometimes acquiring knowledge and information for themselves because, you know, they just don't have the means to do so, even though the heart and mind might, might be willing. And so mass education Um, is a non-negotiable element of this. And mass education from a non-partisan point of view and from an inclusive point of view, considering that the whole purpose of this court action by a new nation movement was not a contestation of power, but a desire to see the South Africa that our forebears, all of us, um, including the first Black democratic president, uh, former and late president Nelson Mandela, who, by the way, in his closing remarks, In 1999, when he was leaving parliament, after he gloriously resigned to try and set an example for people not to hold on to power, um, said that actually instructed and demanded that, and and, and I'm happy Mr. Ruth Mayer is here, uh, Mr. Likota, and I don't know which other, you know, older people are here who participated in those CODESA one and two negotiations prior to us going to elections in 94. Nelson Mandela insisted that there must be an urgent review of the Electoral Act because they had agreed in their CODESA negotiations that, and, and I'm happy Mr. Ruth Mayer made reference to it, that between 1994 and 1999, that first five-year period of the democratic dispensation must be the only and the last period that uses purely proportional representation um, as a democratic system to manage our democracy and, uh, and, and, and assist South Africa in forming itself into a new nation that is prosperous, united, non-sexist, um, et cetera, et cetera, non-racist, and on all the beautiful things that we all know. And so it can't be done without education. I'm very surprised that the IEC hasn't even begun to consult, for instance, the new nation movement and the other parties um, as, as primary stakeholders in this uh, discourse uh, about how we should go about taking this education to the ground and making sure that it is multilingual to respect the 11 official languages of South Africa and also that it is accessible to all communities, especially poor communities and especially women who make up in excess now of 55% of the voters role of South Africa. It will be very interesting to see what percentage women make up in terms of voter turnout. The second aspect is that 
um, and, and I'm happy earlier speakers spoke to this, is that we also as New Nation Movement want to emphasize that as part of the mechanisms of getting, uh, of, of getting ourselves uh, in line with the constitution and updating the Electoral um, uh, Act, the uh, Electoral Act, um, that we should hold a referendum. We should hold a referendum. Many, many things, as, as was emphasized in the presentation, the official presentation of New Nation Movement, that happen in parliament, um, legislatures and councils in South Africa are actually unlawful, <laughs> virtually basically illegal decisions because the only time we take into account what citizens want to happen with their budgets, to happen with policy, to happen with laws, amendment of laws, etc., um, is during the election, which is every five years or two and a half years, if you consider that national elections are separate from local elections. And that's not correct. This is what leads to the violent uh, protest. This is what leads to citizens responding inappropriately, if I could say that, um, to things that are, that are happening that are wrong, like the, the looting of state funds and the lack of service delivery, and even the deployment of people who can't even read basic stuff and interpret even a balance sheet of a department, you know, who are deployed to parliament as, and, and councils as, as, as public representatives and communities respond negatively because communities are not properly consulted. One example is the petitions process. If you know and you've ever used the petitions process, whether at local level or provincial level or national level, you'll know that in majority, if not all, at least I know in the Gauteng legislature, majority petitions that come from communities are not attended to unless at the, you know, the, 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 the fortunate whim of a public representative in that council or that legislature who takes it upon their shoulders to say, look, I'm going to take this petition and fight for it with for dear life. Most petitions are ignored, neglected. Communities don't even hear back from parliament and legislatures and councils on their petitions. If you can go to every legislature and every parliament in all the councils, local and districts, um, and check how many petitions have been responded to adequately to the satisfaction of communities. And communities in turn don't know where to turn to when their petitions are not listened to. And so a referendum is a non-negotiable aspect of this. But the referendum must be preceded by a genuine and proper unlearning and relearning mass mobilization, mass education exercise, so that citizens take decisions that they understand and that they are not manipulated, coerced, um, and lied to by their political party principles in the process of taking these decisions a little bit better than what parliament is doing even now with the land, uh, uh, land reform uh, uh, I mean, act um, uh, amendment Act uh, to Section 25 of the Constitution that is now before Parliament and how that has been handled. We can handle this a lot better. There's no single town, even township, I, I would imagine even urban area in this country that doesn't have a community hall. And so public participation uh, and, and schools for that matter, public participation must precede the referendum and it must be adequately done and it must not be done to patronize or to tick a box. The next thing is that what New Nation Movement intends <laughs> to, to, to bring forward to whatever changes we want to, you know, we, we, we are going to, as South Africans, uh, make sure we get in the, in the amended uh, electoral act, is that there must be a meritocratic system somehow <laughs> introduced into the act itself to prevent criminals from accessing very powerful and influential positions in, in legislatures. A meritocratic system that also talks to, um, you know, some form of basic qualification. Like I made an example of you get public representatives that can't even read a balance sheet. 
And therefore, what inputs are they making in committees? And therefore, what value, if they can't make uh, correct inputs in committees, um, what value are they bringing to citizens and to their voters? And so- I'm giving you, Mr. Mr. At, at, Mandisa, I'm, I'm giving you uh, five minutes to continue. Thank you very much. At the, at, the, at the risk of sounding elitist, and I know many people will jump and say this is elitist, I do think that we need to give ourselves credit as South Africans for having had very progressive things such as the uh, basic education and training uh, um, uh, um, a benefit that went out to large numbers of South Africans who couldn't read and write or were basically illiterate at the point 94 came. We've got no-fee schools. We've got uh, NFSAS offered to uh, children from very, very poor backgrounds to, you know, to study for free. So I, at the risk of sounding elitist, but also simultaneously <laughs> being progressive and not being opportunist, South Africa is ready for a meritocratic government that can justify why Bulelani or Mr. Chabane should be an MP or a councillor and actually give value back to its constituencies. Um, I'd also like to add that, and I've got three more points to add, that the other very critical element of the New Nation Movement is the introduction of civilian oversight, which is part of the meritocratic framework that we want to see in a new act that will govern elections in South Africa. There must be a new introduction of civilian oversight mechanisms that um, form part of uh, the elections system, as it were, and also form part of the life of the five-year or, or whatever period, um, uh, you know, um, period of the five-year term that public representatives after elections uh, serve in, in their respective legislatures or council. Um, because the current uh, public oversight model is not working, it's easy to patronize citizens with it. And in many instances, in fact, it doesn't involve citizens uh, who are duly informed um, and, and can make meaningful uh, um, um, inputs towards um, the, the fiscus management, financial governance and general governance of, of, of resources, including financial resources of various government departments. The next point, which is the penultimate point, is that this, this um, the, the new nation movement's passion for um, equality, genuine equality, not patronized equality uh, between the you know, women and men in the political space and in the governance of our country will find greater opportunity and effect through these amendments. And so that's one of the things that we believe that if 300, if 75% of, um, of seats that are in parliament and, 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 and legislatures uh, go to ind individuals, um, and independence, it will actually give women a better opportunity to operate outside of the often violent uh, uh, internal party political uh, politics that are really patriarchally managed and patriarchally uh, orchestrated and governed to make sure that men maintain and sustain uh, uh, dominance over political discourse internally in the parties and outside. Um, and I think that actually basically was the last input in terms of the additions um, from my side. It was not the penultimate, but the last one. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Uh, sorry, Ms. Uh, Mandisa Mashiho for your addition to the presentation of the new nation. We're going to invite the last presenter, uh, Mr. Matonsi. Chairperson, uh, uh, I, I see that uh, the... First Nation organization rep is here. 
I'm not sure if he's able to hear us, Mr. Anthony Williams. Oh, Anthony Williams. Yeah, yeah. He was, yeah. was supposed to be. Yeah. Then we'll be left. Then we'll be left with the last presentation. We'll be left with the last yeah. presentation. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. In fact, no. Uh, Anthony Williams will, will, will present, and then the last one will be Kasak. Yeah. Let's take uh, yeah. Uh, Mr. Williams and take Kasak. Then we deal with the. Uh, comments uh, we, and questions from members uh, and they will respond at, uh, at the is that is that uh, okay uh, thank you very much chair. you can proceed thank uh, you very much uh, can you hear me yes yes proceed thank you thank you very much um yeah th thank you very much it is uh, we are called the indigenous first nation advocacy south africa in short, we are called IVNASA, uh, and we have been advocating, amongst other uh, things, we have been educating, uh, advocating for the abolishment of, you know, racial categorization. Uh, for the longest time, we have been, been saying that uh, racial categorization perpetuates racism. Uh, it is just, uh, we, we must use this platform to say that it is inconceivable that in... Um, in, uh, in, uh, in, in this dispensation uh, with so, so many progressive uh, individuals uh, and including the progressive uh, uh, organizations who, who brought us uh, um, this democracy as for somehow uh, left uh, um, the, the whole concept and notion of, uh, of, uh, of what, we, what, they call, what is called uh, non-racialism. Um, and it's just it's just absurd that we that we continue with with terms like black and white and colored. It just it's just absurd. Uh, and we have been uh, putting uh, our, ourselves out there, uh, you know, to fight against uh, this. But most importantly, um, right at the heart of the organization, we are fighting for the indigenous uh, First Nation rights of people who are classified as colored in this country. This voice has been uh, has been uh, has been absolutely silent years, and many of uh, uh, of uh, the classified colored people who have been uh, uh, in political formations have seen, you know, uh, uh, how their their voices uh, has been systematically been marginalized and sidelined, and and so therefore we we want to. We want to uh, we want to speak to um, uh, a proper uh, representation of uh, these people who have been wrongly identified as coloreds, but who are really, as per the United Nations report in 2005, when the special rapporteur uh, to South Africa, uh, Professor Ruben Strachenhagen, clearly stated uh, in his report that South Africa. Um, uh, you know, as one of the recommendations amongst others, South Africa should correct, uh, you know, the terminology of, uh, of the Aboriginal uh, people of this country um, and correct it uh, and to include them as the, as the Indigenous First Nation of this land. And it's important to, to note also that the United Nations Declarations on the Rights of Indigenous People, uh, which in short is called UNRAP or UNRAP, uh, um, was uh, was uh, was was uh, was a groundbreaking document uh, of participation of the United Nations across the world 
uh, where the, the rights of indigenous people and tribal people in particular has been once more has been asserted. Um, various countries have have argued uh, that you know that when you uh, when you have got a, a, vote, a right to vote, uh, that automatically equals uh, a participation of all individuals within a particular country, in particular also in South Africa. Um, the argument is is that they because there is an equal vote in South Africa that the indigenous First Nation people of South Africa uh, automatically uh, uh, has got an equal um, participatory right uh, or that they uh, enjoy uh, equality. And we, our lived experience, uh, Jefferson and colleagues, is, is, is that's, not, that's, not, that's not our lived experience, that even within the political formations where the indigenous people find themselves, their voices are generally uh, suppressed. So therefore, the indigenous representation um, uh, agenda or the value system uh, is, 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 is never, never advanced within uh, political formations. And therefore, it, is, it was equally important for us to put our hands up and to, uh, to, to form part of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of what, uh, what is happening within the South African context, in particular, the, the, the amendment of the Electoral Act. It must be said that uh, some of the recommendations that we will uh, speak to just now uh, must be must be uh, must be seen in the following context: that the Indigenous First Nation Advocacy South Africa is a founding member of the New Nation Movement. So, uh, so uh, anybody who has got any idea that we are advancing. Uh, you know, a separatist or a nationalist movement, uh, we want to uh, kill that thought right here, right now, because we were right there from the beginning uh, when the new nation movement was established, and we were very clear that the, the issue in the country is, is that the indigenous first nation of the country has been left on the margins, and they are not fully participating, um, you know, within the uh, Within the, the 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 social economic space, um, in particular, um, the cultures have not has not been revived. And many the the majority of this group of people don't know where they come from, and their history has just simply been obliterated. And I think it's now that that obliteration is concealed within the, the new dispensation. And so, therefore, we we want to speak highly against this. It's important uh, maybe also to note that um, we know that there is this um, um, there's this contestation as far as uh, who are indigenous uh, uh, people, you know, uh, and that uh, there's this uh, this idea that everybody of Bantu and Guni descent um, is also indigenous, and we are of the we are in full agreement. That uh, people who are of, of Bantu and Nguni descent are indigenous Africans, uh, and there's no dispute about that. But uh, I think uh, the, the the definition of indigenous and who indigenous people are to a particular uh, territory has been best described by the former uh, special rapporteur of the United Nations, uh, Jose uh, uh, Martinez Cobo. 
who, uh, who defined indigenous uh, people of particular territories in the following sense, uh, sentence, sentences, and I quote, indigenous community, communities, peoples and nations are those which having a historical continuity with pre-invasion and pre-colonial societies that developed on their territories, consider themselves distinct from other sectors of the societies now prevailing in these territories or parts of them. They form at present non-dominant sectors of society and are determined to preserve, develop, and transmit to future generations their ancestral territories and their ethnic identity as the basis of their continued existence as peoples in accordance with their own culture, so, uh, social uh, in institutions, and legal uh, and legal systems, close quote. So therefore, it is important that when we, 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 when we, when we advocate for the voice and the rights of the indigenous First Nation people of South Africa, in particular, that we understand that we are not wanting to be separate to the exclusion of our fellow African Bantu and Nguni brothers and sisters, including those uh, classified white people who are now uh, uh, who are now South Africans, um, and including uh, those of Indian descent. But it's important that we understand that there were people in this land prior the invasion of, uh, of, of, of uh, colonialists and even prior uh, the settlement of our fellow uh, Brantu and, and Nguni uh, family. So therefore, it's important that we also take note uh, that there is also international uh, context that uh, we have to consider here today when we, when we make the submission and when the com committee uh, ultimately sits and deliberate. South Africa is, 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 is exceeded, um, not ratified, but exceeded or, or um, uh, consented to the ILO Convention 169. And we all know, or most of us should know, that the Convention 169 recognizes the indigenous people, uh, people's right to self-determination within a nation state, while setting standard for national governments uh, reg uh, regarding indigenous people's economic, social, cultural, and political rights, including the right to land. However, we know that South Africa has not yet ratified uh, our Convention ILO 169, and we would uh, uh, we would want to uh, um, want to encourage the, the, uh, this committee, um, uh, you know, to to look into that. The ILO Convention 169. Uh, on the indigenous and tribal people uh, in the independent countries clearly uh, provides on the rights uh, of indigenous people to, uh, to, 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 to decide on their own cultural development, on their own language development, and establish a separate institution to represent them in relation to their authorities and institutions. And we have found that in the, uh, in the South African context that, um, that there's been very little, um, and, and, and some people might uh, refer to the recent um, uh, uh, the, uh, signing of the president of what is called 
the traditional and, and the traditional Khoisan Leadership Act. And people take that traditional Khoisan and Leadership Act and then uh, they say that there is proper recognition now for the Indigenous First Nation of South Africa. We want to uh, advocate uh, rather strongly, disassociate uh, associate ourselves from that notion that there's proper uh, uh, representation of the, uh, for the Indigenous First Nation people in South Africa. What the, South Af- what the United Nations have clearly uh, stated in their recommendations in 2005 is that South Africa need to recognize the Indigenous First Nation people within the Constitution. And what the government has done of the day is uh, what we call for political experience has included um, the Indigenous First Nation people only in an act uh, and uh, has refused up to this day to include us in uh, in the in um, in uh, in the constitution of the country, and hence it is important that we become um, uh, equal um, uh, equal citizens within this country, and therefore we we support uh, very much the, the the work and the voice of the new nation movement uh, uh, of the citizens uh, citizens assembly. Just to go a little bit further, um, as far as as far as legal provision um, uh, internationally is concerned, it is also important to note that the United Nations declarations on the right of indigenous people um, also um, uh, has been adopted by, the, by South Africa in 2016. Now, if um, we have adopted this um, this uh, uh, piece of broad, uh, basic uh, f- uh, framework of how the indigenous people are equally supposed to participate within uh, within uh, within this, uh, the the state uh, power or the sharing of state power. Then it's important to note that the declaration imposes a number of obligation on member states. Um, it also prohibits discrimination against indigenous people and promotes their full and effective participation in all matters that concern them. Article 4 in particular of, uh, of, of UNRWA or the, the United Nations Declarations on the Rights of, of, of Indigenous People is particularly of, uh, of, our, of our interest, uh, which reads, and I quote as follows, Indigenous peoples, in exercising their right to self-determination, have the right to autonomy or self-government in matters relating to their uh, internal and local affairs, as well as ways and means for financing their autonomous function, close quote. Now, it's important uh, that, uh, that, uh, um, that even the South African constitution provides uh, for self-determination in section two, uh, 235, uh, which, um, which we uh, fully embrace. But in, in, uh, having said that, the Indigenous First Nation Advocacy South African is absolutely clear that we embrace and we would love uh, to embrace our self-determination um, um, in a collective, uh, um, uh, collective community where all of us are equally included um, in the sharing of the state. What has happened in South Africa, the indigenous First Nation people 
has not been um, included in particular in social development and also um, economic development. Um, if we, we have recently met with the, uh, the, the, the statistician general um, of, uh, of Stats SA, and um, we have brought to the attention of the, statist- of the, of the statistician general uh, some of our very serious concerns uh, that um, as far as the as statistics are concerned, that South Africa, the, the state uh, in particular, and government uses um, the, the national um, percentage that it, which has been provided by Stats SA when they effect social and economic development. Um, but what has what is not come out clearly is that although our group of people have increased since the the first uh, census that the, uh, in democratic South Africa in twenty uh, in nineteen ninety six, up to date uh, we have grown over two uh, over one point two million, but the, the 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 national statistic has remained the same at 8.9%. And therefore, um, we, we do not have a similar, uh, a similar uh, um, um, social and economic uh, um, um, development. And so therefore, it's important that when we come today, that we, 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 we are pleading um, for a particular, what we call a, res- a reserve seats, as New Zealand has got, um, um, and as a, as, as a model for even so for for this committee to perhaps to look into and so therefore we want to advocate um including uh, uh, what uh, the new nation movement um is as is advocating for we want to include to what the new nation movement is is advocating for we want to include that you consider reserve seats that we know that from 18, uh, uh, 1867, um, that the, the, the New Zealand arrangement um, has, has always uh, taken on board, um, uh, you know, the indigenous First Nation people. And since, um, since then, they have reserved four seats, uh, uh, which is currently now standing at uh, just uh, at, at seven seats. And so we want to propose... Um, as part of our recommendations, uh, you know that that you that you that you that you uh, consider uh, reserve seats for the indigenous First Nation people of South Africa as, uh, as as part of our recommendations. Secondly, we also would love you to refrain uh, from. There seem to since yesterday there seem to be uh, uh, this annoyance. With the with the within the, the independent uh, candidates in particular, uh, uh, that the spoil or rather the excess excess votes um, should be clubbed together. Now, um, some of the, the 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 parliamentarians seem to be annoyed, you know, that uh, that there's this uh, request uh, that the excess votes must be clubbed together. Um, so it seems that uh, uh, the people are annoyed, and we are we are asking uh, you know for for tolerance, uh, but we're also asking you to consider Section 18 of the South African Constitution, which clearly directs us uh, you know in terms of uh, freedom of association. So we just call upon you to to be a little bit uh, uh, sensitive when we call um, and we support that call 
you know, that excess votes of independent candidates should be clubbed together uh, because that clearly uh, indi- indicates whether whether you argue as uh, honorable Peleus argued that, but now this uh, the uh, people has not uh, voted for this independent uh, candidate, and therefore now you automatically uh, should not club your those votes together. I mean, uh, we have a similar situation arrangements um, when uh, just after now after the the local government elections, political parties went into coalitions. And we are sitting with coalition uh, uh, government. So, uh, for anybody to uh, to uh, to assert that uh, independent candidates should not be afforded the same uh, the same right um, is to re- remove their constitutional uh, right, um, you know, to to assemble themselves. Then, then perhaps uh, maybe uh, to, to, perhaps to the conclusion, chairperson. There's uh, two yeah. three more uh, very shortly. Uh, we support, as we said, uh, the the citizens' assembly uh, proposed by 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 uh, the New Nation Movement, and a very clear. Uh, um, um, uh, we want to clearly state that we we support, in particular, the notion that people uh, people must be recalled when they don't serve their constituency anymore. Um, we do also want to re- recommend uh, a, a very important public participation. Uh, which is which has been uh, lacking up to now, and a mass publication of information uh, for the general uh, public. Uh, uh, Chairperson, I'm going to stand uh, at that. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Williams. Uh, just on one point, Mr. Williams, so that it does not recur, because I don't want members to venture in that space. Um, members can invite interested parties to share views and they get annoyed uh, uh, when they ask for clarity or for yourself to expand on certain issues. So I, 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 the committee does not, is not annoyed on anything. We are asking as part to enhance yourselves and the, the people of the country and the committee so that this public uh, this consultation is meaningful so uh, we're trying to assist you uh, caution that there's no member of the committee who is annoyed either on the issues that are on the presentation um, I thought I must just deal with that one so that it does not recur. Uh, 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 it's an unfortunate statement that you 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 are building. Let's invite uh, Kaska uh, for their presentation. Then we'll invite members to comment on the three presentations. And then we'll uh, allow also the colleagues to make comments on the, on the issues uh, in that order. I think that's the last presentation, uh, Mr. Matunzi. Yes, Chairperson, that, that will be the last presentation. Yeah, there was a colleague, of, colleague who was supposed to present and it was a cut off. I'm not sure, did you, did you check with them? No, the, the, the colleague that was supposed to present is Mr. Anton uh, Williams. Oh, okay, oh, okay, yeah. okay. Uh, okay. All right. oh, thank you, thank you. Can you invite Casca uh, to present? Uh, you're welcome to share your presentation with us and the notes on the process that the committee is engaging on. Thank you, you're welcome, Mr. Naidu.
thank you very much, uh, Honorable uh, Chabane and uh, Honorable members of the uh, Portfolio Committee. Uh, I'm not sure if Mr. Matonzi is able to, to share the presentation uh, for me. Um, if he's able to do so, I will, I will start. Um, uh, Honorable Chair, I'm going to try not to take up too much of your time uh, this morning. Um, I, I think a, a lot of the points that uh, Kasak wished to make uh, in terms of background and context have already been made, but I think it may be important just to, to emphasize uh, some aspects of that uh, before we come to the, uh, the detail of Kasak's uh, submission uh, to the Portfolio Committee, which is contained in a written submission that we've given uh, to, the, uh, uh, to your committee. I think I want to concur with the, uh, those who have spoken before and pointed out the insufficient public participation uh, that has been uh, happening so far in terms of this critical process of considering amendments to the electoral system in South Africa. I think the process that the committee is engaged in at the moment uh, with the looming deadline of, of, uh, of uh, June this year uh, is, is, is woefully in, uh, insufficient <clears throat> uh, and needs certainly to be much, much broader and to be a ground up uh, um, process. Uh, and I say this for the, for the reason that I think political parties may find themselves in an invidious position when considering the kind of electoral model that we need in South Africa. It can be argued that political parties may be conflicted because of the direct interest that political parties have in the electoral model that is ultimately chosen. And therefore, that makes extensive, broad, and deep public participation even more imperative so that the legitimacy of the outcome of this process cannot be questioned. You will know, uh, 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 Honorable Chair and members of the committee, that last year the Minister of Home Affairs appointed an advisory committee that was chaired uh, by Mr. Vali Musa. And uh, what finds expression in the uh, amendment bill that is before the committee is the uh, is a minority view of that advisory committee, uh, what has been termed, I think, rather generously as the minimalist option of simply allowing independent candidates to stand within the current uh, a, a proportional representation list system. Uh, and I think Mr. Valimusa has himself made the, uh, made the point that that minimalist option uh, was not raised by anyone um, who the, uh, that advisory committee consulted. So it was not an idea that sprung uh, from a submission that was made to them, but was uh, uh, created internally within that committee. The New Nation Movement Judgment uh, provides us with an opportunity, I think, to conduct a comprehensive review of our electoral model. Um, we know that although the judgment uh, is, uh, is, is narrowly framed uh, in terms of uh, uh, permitting in independents or individuals to contest seats in the national and provincial legislatures, it provides us with an opportunity for a more thorough and comprehensive review. Uh, this is something that has been deferred for more than 20 years now since the re report of the Fonseil Slabbit task team. It was reinforced in recent years by uh, former President Khalima Motlante's high-level panel report on Parliament, 
which made a similar proposal that electoral reform uh, was much needed. I think the, the issue is, is, uh, is also located in our current uh, political context. If there is one thing we take away from the hearings of the uh, uh, Commission of Inquiry into State Capture and the various reports that have now been produced by the Acting Chief Justice Raymond Zondo, is that there is a significant accountability deficit in South Africa. Uh, it is an accountability deficit that has led to the deepening of corruption, state capture, and the lack of accountability of our elected representatives and those in whom we entrust public power. So whilst there are several competing principles that should guide any chosen electoral model, uh, those of accountability and fairness, uh, as the slide indicates, uh, should be paramount. And I think in framing a new electoral model, we must take into account what are the lessons that we've learned over the last uh, 28 years in regard to the electoral model that we are currently using at a national and provincial level? And how can we use this opportunity to, to entrench and enhance democracy in South Africa, proper pu uh, public representation, accountability, and enabling the voices of the electorate to be properly heard? Uh, we can move on to the next slide. Uh, Chair, there are, there are three broad uh, electoral systems that, uh, that, that we can refer to. The pure PR system, which is the one that we use currently in South Africa. It is certainly can be argued as the most fair and inclusive system in that every single vote counts. But as I say, it has re resulted in an accountability deficit. And with the status of members of parliament in relation to their party hierarchies uh, uh, under challenge. Then there's the single member constituency model uh, with a, a PR top up, where there's a much a closer uh, nexus of accountability between constituents and the elected representatives. But it has a downside in that there are votes that are lost due to the winner takes all principle, although there are other mechanisms that can, use, that can be implemented to mitigate against this. This is the uh, submission that is contained in Kasek's uh, report to the committee, as well as the submission we made to Vali Musa's advisory uh, committee. Uh, and I'll come back to that in a moment. The third uh, broad uh, model is that of the multi-member constituency, which we've heard argued uh, for this morning, um, uh, along the lines of what was proposed initially in the Pencil uh, Slabber Task Team and has been uh, amended and refined in terms of some of the current proposals before the committee. I think the, the difficulties we have with this model is that, uh, firstly, accountability, which I think, uh, as I've stressed the importance of, is diffused amongst uh, in a multi-member uh, constituency setting because there can be blame shifting <coughs> amongst the, uh, the various members of that uh, MMC as to who is ultimately accountable for particular decisions. And it, uh, it, 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 it makes it more difficult for there to be a direct relationship between MPs and voters because of the large uh, nature of those constituencies. It cultivates electoral niches at the expense of appealing to all, uh, voters and may uh, uh, create a, uh, an overrepresentation of smaller constituencies, uh, creating an imbalance in voting power at the demarcation. 
the demarcation issue may be able to, to address that to some extent. We can move to the next slide. So this is the nub of, of CASAC sub submission, is that a, uh, a, a mixed uh, single-member constituency and, and PR uh, list system. Uh, with, uh, we've made the proposal of 200 uh, single-member seats with a 200 PR list, but uh, obviously that is something that, uh, that can be considered in terms of that balance and, and split between those two. I've heard the arguments for a 75-25 split uh, earlier this morning. Uh, so we're not wedded to the 200-200, but it's the model, I think, that is, that is uh, of importance, particularly in this discussion. Because I think uh, that we, we, sh we should seek to avoid getting into the detail um, of the complexity of any electoral model in this discussion, but agree in principle on what is the best uh, architecture for an electoral system in South Africa. So we therefore submit a single-member constituency system uh, with uh, constituencies of a re relatively small and similar population size should be adopted as the new electoral system. Uh, and the issues of demarcation, as I say, is something that, uh, that can be discussed as part of this. But I think that the principle has to be that 200 constituencies, uh, uh, largely of, of similar uh, uh, population size, if not geographical size, should, be, should underpin it. The benefits of this, as I've indicated, is that it provides for direct accountability. Uh, it, it, it provides for uh, local rep the, the local representative being the link between the electorate or the constituencies and parliament or the provincial legislature. It ensures that parliament becomes more accessible on the ground and to people who have a, an easy mechanism of uh, raising issues uh, uh, with their elected representatives. Uh, and it, as you say, it amplifies the voice of ordinary people beyond uh, the routine and somewhat stage managed at times public hearings that parliament conducts. It also will require MPs to make, pay greater direct attention to the concerns of their constituents and to take those uh, concerns seriously because their re-election will in large part be dependent on satisfying the needs uh, and, and the concerns of, of, of their constituents. We can move on to the next slide. Um, again, as I've said earlier, MPs will be, uh, uh, status will, will be enhanced vis-a-vis -vis their parla parliamentary hierarchies uh, and less vulnerable to arbitrary removal from, uh, uh, as a member of parliament by party officials, especially if that member of parliament or, or representative has a significant uh, 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 constituency base, which is fully supportive of the, uh, of the member of parliament and enables them to, to stand up to the dictates of the political party. This will have the significant benefit of empowering parliament. And we've seen uh, 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 the failures of parliament in recent times. And mm -hmm. so the, this model will also enhance the effectiveness of parliament as an institution and not just of the um, members who make up that parliamentary body and will, should hopefully ultimately strengthen parliamentary oversight with the MPs being, uh, being more uh, concerned with the issues that their constituents and uh, broader civil society uh, raise with them. 
this, of course, will uh, will necess necessitate uh, an inquiry into whether those uh, MPs elected on the party ballot within the constituency system could be removed by the uh, 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 loss of party membership. If that is uh, the case, then that would obviously require the uh, amendment or the deletion of Section 47.3c of the Constitution. We also uh, acknowledge that there are disadvantages in this electoral model, as there are with any electoral model. There is no ideal perfect electoral model. And if you scan the globe, we see very many different electoral models to suit uh, 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 particular uh, circumstances. This one, uh, as we point out, may result in unfair outcomes, as single-member districts are good for large parties and those will, with the uh, uh, concentrated regional support, and perhaps less good for smaller parties who have to disperse their, um, their attention over a large number of constituencies. It is likely to re result in the elimination of small parties, particularly at the, national, at the national level, but perhaps not so much at a provincial uh, level. Uh, it certainly diminishes the issues of fairness and inclusivity, as I say, because of the uh, uh, first-past-the-post, winner-take-all uh, 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 mechanism that uh, that might be adopted. Although, as I said earlier, there are the, the, the two ballot systems that could be considered, but may, may, may for now be considered uh, unnecessarily complex. And those vote, wasted votes through non-representation non of voices whose preferred candidate uh, uh, is eliminated or loses. We can move on to the next slide. Uh, allied to the uh, single-member constituency system, we propose a, a top-up of proportional rep representation in order to, to meet the constitutional requirement of an electoral system that has to result uh, in general in proportional representation. This also serves to mitigate against the potentially unfair and exclusionary nature of the single-member constituency system that I've just highlighted, particularly towards smaller parties. A single-member constituency system with APR component uh, would require that the split between the constitu uh, constituency and PR seats be determined. Uh, I've covered this already, whether it's a 300-100 split or a 200-200 split, or whether uh, uh, one wants to entertain the idea of a potential increase in the size of the National Assembly. Not something that we necessarily support, but we raise it as an option that uh, uh, might be deserving of the um, uh, um, uh, discussion by broader uh, South African society as well as by the portfolio committee. We can move to the next one. Um, the, the nature of the PR list system that we use, uh, there are two options, either a compensatory list or a separate ballot uh, needs to be determined. The compensatory list uh, would compensate uh, political parties with, with seats based on their vote share in, in these constituency elections and corrects the disproportionality that arises from the first past the post constituency voting. However, individuals that contest constituents will not be accommodated in this ballot and their, uh, their votes would therefore be lost or discarded even in the compensatory list. We therefore prefer the separate proportional ballots because this would allow voters to split their ballots on a local level to vote for uh, the candidate in their constituency 
based on their uh, personal preference and then vote on the national level for the party of their choice. This separate ballot is preferred because it allows uh, national party campaigns, national campaigns to be more effective and also uh, enhances the, the choices that are given to the electorate in terms of being able to express themselves at a constituency level as well as at a national or uh, uh, provincial level. The modalities of the actual balloting system, the standard for a candidate's electoral victory and the demarcation of constituencies, as I ha highlighted earlier, are also issues that will need further discussion and determination. But the focus of this presentation um, uh, today is on the, on the broad architecture or framework of that electoral model. We can move to the next slide. We therefore support and believe that the, uh, that the best electoral system uh, that achieves the principles of accountability and fairness is the single member constituency system combined with the separate national PR ballot. The rare and unique opportunity that we have at this point in time to reform an electoral system is one with great potential for impact for the, on the South African society in a number of ways and for a, for a significant period. This is not just about designing an electoral system for the 2024 national and provincial elections, but it's about designing an ele electoral system uh, that is going to be sustainable over the long term and will enhance the quality of democracy in South Africa to enhance the role of parliament as uh, uh, the body primarily charged uh, with oversight over the executive and other organs of state. And therefore, we need to think long-term uh, about this, the sustainability and the, and the effectiveness of this electoral system, and not just uh, find ourselves constrained by the new nation movement uh, judgment by the Constitutional Court. I'm not seeking to suggest that the Constitutional Court did anything wrong. The question that they were asked, which was about uh, whether independent candidates could stand, is the one that they addressed. But as I said right at the beginning, it now provides us with the ability to, to go beyond the new nation movement judgment and to uh, craft uh, and uh, create an electoral model uh, that will serve for generations to come. The proposal we make uh, will improve the accountability of voters, uh, 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 to, uh, of MPs to their voters. Uh, I think that's the last slide, if I'm not mistaken, we can move on to some concluding remarks. Uh, so I would urge the committee, uh, Honorable Chibane, uh, to, uh, to really consider deepening uh, this public participation process. I'm not sure whether you envisage another round of this, but I certainly think it's, it is deserving of, of much greater uh, consideration by the committee. I believe that the committee or parliament has, uh, has approached the constitutional court with regards to uh, an extension of the June uh, 2022 deadline. While that is not uh, necessarily desirable, it may become necessary in the circumstances because I do think it is important uh, that, that, that that be done. Uh, the, the issue of, of uh, you know, it was highlighted to the committee, I think back in, in August of uh, 2020, shortly after the judgment came out, where the IEC uh, produced before the committee a timeline that indicated when a new model needed to be agreed upon so that the 
mechanisms and the uh, um, the work administrative work with implementing a new electoral model should be done. Unfortunately, that time has now passed. But rather than rushing into a decision in order to meet uh, a self-created urgency in terms of the due deadline, I think Parliament owes it to the nation uh, to ensure that proper consideration is given to all of the options on the table and that we don't just take the easy route out. Many, th many thanks, Honourable Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Naidu and the team. I'm trying to charge my gadget. Uh, apologies. We're having the members of the committee who are, want to interact with the, uh, the presentation that has been made by the three colleagues uh, of uh, will then invite them to comment on the issues you have raised. Um, and we'll invite yourself also to comment on the clarity that they might have sought so that all way you must expand on the issues that you, 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 you have presented on. I will uh, invite uh, Honorable uh, uh, Pile, Honorable Mulekwa, Honorable Kanile, Veteran Lukota, Honorable Tito, Honorable Ramulobeng, Honorable uh, uh, Van der Merve Koche, and Honorable uh, Lekwase. Um, in that order, um, Honorable Pile. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chairperson. And let me also appreciate the presentations made by um, by all of the, the submissions. Chair, I think, uh, firstly, I want to emphasize a very important point that you raised earlier. Uh, and it's rather unfortunate that we have to use terms like uh, members being annoyed. Um, Really, it, it seeks to belittle us in a way. Um, and, and I'm saying this purely from the point of we're here to listen to submissions. We're here to engage. And when we ask questions, it's not because we don't want to support or we don't, or we don't support or we want to ridicule presentations. No, it's to see clarity so that we have an understanding of what we are going to then be able to put together. Remember, we have to package all of the submissions from the two days of oral and a whole month of public participation and hearings across the entire country. We have to now package all of that to be able to provide the South African citizen with the best possible uh, option and, and, and one that is going to be in line with um, uh, our constitution uh, and to be able to promote uh, participation. So I think it's important. We must we must get on get off on the right footing. That also it's it's not a good feeling to 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 be seen as we don't know what we're here for because we're here to listen to everybody and we're here to to allow that process. But chair, in in saying that, uh, I want to ask um, the, the the following questions to the Council for the Advancement of uh, the South African Constitution. Um, how would the adoption of a single member constituency system uh, be administered and improve voter awareness and um, that connection or interaction with, with their elected representative? I think it's something that we, we must um, um, take into consideration. 
Secondly, Chair, I think it's important to note that not just South Africa, but the entire world was faced with a pandemic that was unforeseen. Nobody planned for COVID. Nobody, nobody you know, knew that there was going to be this pandemic. And hence, and I'm not using it as an excuse, but I think it's important that we must note that COVID did limit some of the deliberations that one would have been particularly around parliament uh, after the court ruling. And that limited us in terms of, of timeframe. So I think it's important to note at the outset. And we're not finding excuses. We're not passing it on COVID, but I think it's an important point to note. Um, in terms of New Nations movement, um, will they please explain the difference between what they term as direct representative as opposed to independent candidate um, as proposed in the bill? And I think in, in, in summing up my, my contribution to this, again, we must ensure that um, we look at, because this thing keeps on coming up, about constituency-based, but I'm, I'm seeing a lot of contradictions over the day where the numbers are also not um, uh, the same uh, and perhaps because there's different ideas and proposals. So perhaps if there can be clarity on how and what sort of number they're looking at in constituency. And secondly, again, even in the previous presenters, they were not able to clarify the issue of NCOP and representation to NCOP. And I still don't see it. Uh, how then do we address that? Because we have to consider that we have two houses and how are we going to accommodate for both the NA and the NCOP in this, in this project? Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you very much uh, for your contribution, Honorable Mulekwa. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Let me also start by appreciating uh, the presentation and note also the submission made by different organizations on the uh, electoral uh, amendment bill. And also, Chairperson, I agree with Honorable Brandon on critical issues that he has raised uh, and the input that he had made. Chairperson, I also want us to take note and appreciate uh, the work that has been done by the IEC uh, since our democratic dispensation. I think the IEC has been in the center of election and making sure that every election that I held in our country are free and fair. And I think we also have the opportunity as members of the society to participate in the PLC meeting uh, where we are able to raise issues that concern the election. And I also want to encourage that we also continue to make all the important submission whenever the election are concerned so that the IEC must be able to note all the issues and the concern that we have as the citizen. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable Kanyele. Veteran Lokuta. Chairperson, I, 
I think I'm really quite covered. I have benefited quite a bit from what I have been listening to, but I don't have. Veteran, you are still no, including? No, I have no input to put. Okay, thank you. Honorable Tito. Thanks, Chair, and greeting to everyone. I also like to welcome the, the, the presentations that were done by our previous uh, speakers. We note everything that, that uh, they have said, but for now, Chair, I'm also covered. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Ramulo Thank you, Chair. Um, um, in welcoming the presentations from the speakers, Chair, I'm also covered by what Honorable Mulekwa and um, Honorable Pile has raised. Thanks, Chair. Thank you. Um, Honorable Fanor Merva, co-chair. No, Chairperson, I'm covered for now. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Lokwase. Thank you very much, Chair. I'm also covered. We know the presentations as they were presented before us. Thank you. Um, who did I? Oh, Honorable Kanyele, if you are on the line. Okay. Thanks, uh, <coughs> colleagues, um, honorable members, for the issues you have raised. Appreciation of the of the report. Let me invite the team to. Uh, I think there were questions that were directed to the team. I will invite the new nation and uh, invite uh, Mr. Williams and invite Mr. Naidoo if the uh, closing uh, comments to, to contribute particularly on the issues that have been raised by uh, honorable play. New nation. Thank you so much, uh, honorable chairperson. Um, I think before I respond to the question that was posed by the Honorable Pillay, I just want to acknowledge, uh, you know, the, the great contribution that was done by the legal teams. Um, I know that um, Merlin, Titus and Chandra Brown, who were part of the legal team, uh, are here. And we just want to express our gratitude, you know, for the excellent work and their work that they did pro deo. And that's how, that's how we're able to actually pull uh, this victory off without having a penny in the bank account. The question by the Honorable Pillay uh, says, what's the difference between direct representation and independent candidates? I love the question because it allows us, you know, the opportunity to, to, to bring the distinction and the clarity. Number one, independent candidates, I think, are self-explanatory that they, they are standing there as independents. Um, uh, uh, advancing whatever cause that they want. But when we talk of direct representation from the New Nation Movement's perspective, we are talking about the constituencies owning the seats and then those constituencies nominating representatives who can then go to parliament and advance the causes um, that they deem fit. So for us, that is, the, that is the major distinction, and which is why we are submitting, you know, to the portfolio committee to say it is important that um, this electoral uh, act or system that is going to be put together, it must recognize those um, 
associations, citizens' associations, and even give them the equal status as the political parties so that the compensatory seats uh, are also not lost. But more importantly, it is for those uh, constituencies or, or those, uh, those multi-member constituencies having the ability to nominate people to go and focus on the issues that they would want focused on. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Williams. Thank you, Chairperson. Um, uh, allow me to, to express uh, um, myself by saying that uh, there was no uh, intention, uh, you know, to defame or to speak ill, um, you know, towards any any of the of the members. I think it was uh, it was just. Uh, um, uh, I will retract that uh, word uh, annoyance if uh, if, it, um, if it is if it is unparliamentary, uh, honourable Pele. Uh, <laughs> um, but what we were saying is that uh, we we thank you for the opportunity. Uh, thank you that you'd listen to us, uh, and we would still strongly advocate that you would consider um, in your deliberations uh, the New Zealand mo- model where they have reserved uh, seats uh, for the indigenous. Uh, First Nation, uh, in particular the Maoris. Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson. Thank you, Mr. Naidu. Uh, thank you, Honorable Chair. Uh, I think um, Honorable Pillay raises an important question in regard to uh, the functioning um, of a single member constituency system and how practically that will enhance um, accountability and the, uh, the nexus between uh, voters and the elected representative. I think if we look at what parliament currently does, it acknowledges the importance of constituency work and therefore parliament sets aside, sets aside within its parliamentary program uh, time for that constituency work. At the moment, it is, it is done on an informal or uh, unstructured basis and is left up to the political parties to determine uh, which uh, uh, geographical areas particular uh, MPs get allocated to, but there's no formal report back on what that work entails and and, and what it has done. And yet, on the other hand, Parliament makes financial provision for the functioning of those constituencies uh, and constituency offices. So it's providing the financial resources, but there's no accountability because as citizens, we don't really know what those uh, members of parliament do when they go, because it's not to suggest that they're not doing any work, but what I'm highlighting is that there's no structured way in which they report on what that work is, what the issues that are raised by their constituents are, and so on. So therefore, what we propose in the single member constituency model is a defined geographic area that is determined in terms of the electoral system. So the MP knows exactly which uh, geographical area she or he is responsible for, will have to ensure that they uh, cover the entire uh, entirety of that uh, geographical area to meet with constituents um, in, in, a, in a manner that, they, that is appropriate for the, uh, the in, uh, circumstances, and to come back and report back to those constituents on a regular basis as to how they've addressed 
the issues or concerns that were raised by them. That's the nexus of accountability. And if those elected representatives fail to deal with those concerns, they will, have lo- they will lose the support of those voters come the next election. And therefore, that, that formalized n- nature of, of creating uh, a, a direct link between voters and, the, uh, and, a, and an identifiable uh, mem- member of parliament or member of a provincial legislature is key to the success of this. So it would need to be uh, a, 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 a compact, if you like, between the voters in a constituency and that elected representative. What is expected of them, how they report back, and how their performance ultimately is measured, not by their political parties, but by the electorate itself. I hope that answers your question, Honorable Bolay. No, thanks very much, uh, colleagues. Thanks very much for um, attending the portfolio committee as part of the consultation on this uh, process. Uh, we appreciate your uh, work. We know that you have made the written submissions that the committee will be engaging on uh, in the space. All the issues that you have raised in terms of this process, uh, we do appreciate as the as the portfolio committee. We've noted the notes that will be interacting with the, in the process. We two three issues I think which we raised uh, will unable to account to that. Uh, 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 the w- one is that the there's an issue with the task team of uh, Valemusa, uh, former minister Valemusa, that uh, the other parties were not invited to that space. Uh, we're not able to have an accurate account uh, to that extent. What we know is that uh, there was an extensive uh, a consultation with various organizations in that uh, in that in that space. We have worked with the IC. In fact, we have uh, taken from uh, Honorable Mulekwa that uh, the IEC was invited to the committee uh, to deal with the modalities, uh, uh, lessons that could be learned from other countries post the Constitutional Court judgment. And to that extent, we have interacted that space with see. I see a particular time when the committee has deliberated on this matter of the of the bill, they will be reco- they will be invited to the committee uh, to reflect on what is the course of action post the parliament when it's considered the the process. So we have confidence in their space of work uh, as the committee. The assertion that uh, have been raised uh, towards the uh, the the IC may not necessarily represent the views that are carried in the portfolio committee. And it's your right to articulate your, 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 your position. The portfolio committee is going to engage as yesterday we have been uh, reflected on the extensive consultation which members of the uh, stakeholders which have, have uh, contributed to this platform in terms of consolidating the thought with our people on the ground. And to that effect, the process is, is, uh, is underway including the education uh, uh, to our people on on, on the ground. We will extensively deal with the issues that uh, you as colleagues, uh, uh, stakeholders, and all the submissions that have been raised extensively as members of the the committee and take notes on some of the issues that you have uh, highlighted uh, that are critical for parliament and our people to, uh, to consider. 
I'm not sure, Mr. Matons, if there's any other matter that we'll want to raise uh, so that we we uh, we work towards closing the the the, the session. Uh, Chair, there's no other matter except that not uh, the new nation movement they've been raising hands uh, before you made your remarks. Okay. But from okay. my side, there, there's nothing there. Okay. No, I did not notice that. Thank you for that uh, uh, reminder. I can see. Uh, Mr. Yes. Yeah, Elani. Well, thank you, Honorable Chair. I, I just wanted to, to ask Mandisa to respond on the issue of the National Council of NCOP that was raised. I was raising my hand for her. So if she can just come in and, and do that last bit. Thank you. Oh, yes. You could have assisted when we were closing so that we don't uh, go back to the. Uh, uh, Apologies. Apologies, uh, the, the, the proceedings of our process, uh, so that we're able to. Thank you very much, uh, Miss uh, Mandisa Mashoko. Thanks. Um, I raised my hand long before you wrapped up. Uh, I wanted to respond to the question by Mr. Pele. Two questions, actually. The first one, quickly, he wanted clarity on our constituency-based system. I think the easiest way to understand it is that uh, if you have 400 uh, seats, let's say National Assembly for 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 the national picture each seat must belong to a constituency. However, how many seats each constituency gets obviously is dependent on the proportionality of how that 400 is divided one. So when the seat, let's after the elections, all seats are occupied by whoever and one person passes on or resigns from a National Assembly basically raising a vacancy, that vacancy goes back to the constituency where the person who created the vacancy came from versus the current uh, situation where, you know, uh, that we all know um, how it works to remove the power of political parties from owning seats and deciding uh, on, on the, on, you know, based on the cater deployment uh, policy, uh, who should occupy seats so that every time seats are essentially uh, elected on an election basis directly by the people, similar to a by-election when a ward councillor resigned. Secondly, on the NCOP, the New Nation Movement will be submitting um, an additional proposal to both the committee as well as Home Affairs itself. Um, I mean, uh, IEC rather, not Home Affairs, the Home Affairs Committee as well as the IEC on what we propose should happen uh, with the NCOP. In any event, it's not that complex because the NCOP could still remain uh, ideally under proportional representation um, as it's a you know very small minority of a proportion of the seats. Um, and uh, you know we have a, a proposal um, for South Africans in terms of how um, independence or the 375% of the seats that should belong to independence, um, the 300 uh, independent candidates can make a meaningful contribution towards identifying their own NCOP delegation using democratic means and fair and, uh, and transparent means, and also possibly going back to the constituencies for them to decide on who should hold that seat versus the, the situation that is, um, that is used, I mean, the system that is used now. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thanks for that uh, additional response, uh, 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 members. Um, thanks very much. We must appreciate members of the committee, yourself, the team, colleagues who presented, the, gave us the presentations. Well, uh, Mr. Matonchi, I think we're clearer on terms of our program and the issue that will be carrying forward. At the time of the uh, deliberations, we'll then come back and the committee will able to develop a, a framework report in terms of the issues we've gathered. 
from all angles, stakeholders, and our people. Is there any announcement, Mr. Matuns? No, Chair, there are no announcements. Thanks very much. The meeting stands adjourned. Thank you, Chairperson.